0: Hello everyone and welcome to the 7th episode of NashyCast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashy. I am Rod Barnett.
1: And I'm Troy Gwen.
0: And we're here to guide you through yet another entire Paul Nashy film. And this time out, people, it's going to get painful.
1: hmm
0: uh-huh. Nipple clamps are probably your best
1: idea here. Oh, we'll get to that <laughs> yeah, later Yeah, a lot of don't try this at home moments.
0: Yeah. Not just a... Ooh, may I... Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm not talking about the nipple thing until later because that's <laughs> that's kind of freaked me out. If you if you notice us weeping at any point in time, I'll try to edit that out. But it's mainly because we've had some uh, computer problems in the past little while, which has caused a slight delay on uh, this episode being recorded. I've threatened the appropriate people. That would be the small gremlins that live inside my computer, and uh, they're gonna cooperate. I swear. Yes. We'll launch straight into Inquisition, 1976. Now the reason we jumped to this film was that this was Paul Naschy's first film behind the camera as director. Mm-hmm. That means on this one, he wrote, directed, and plays the lead. Uh, he may have even had a hand in production, but I'm not altogether positive. Mm-hmm. This film was a Spanish and Italian co-production, which is an interesting bit of uh, production information, mainly because it explains the presence of a couple of the actors in the film. Right. Overall, I think... Uh, I think this was your first time seeing this film, right? I had
1: not seen it before, right? It was new to on me. Um,
0: I'd seen it a couple of times. I've had a bootleg of it for some time. Uh, what did you think overall?
1: I was really knocked out by it. I thought okay. it was a pretty damn okay, good, good, pretty damn good, uh, you know, pretty damn good directing debut for sure. Yes, uh, yes, but I'm glad we got to get to, I'm glad we got to this, uh, you know, to one of his own films because we've mentioned several times that that Nashi uh, was even with the some of the very good directors he worked with that he always felt that they didn't quite maybe grass horror in the way that he did, quite get the horror medium and the genre and quite to his satisfaction. So this was kind yeah. of his chance to, you know, to show what he could do. Although,
0: when you think about it, strange that this ended up being his directorial debut in that this is a little, this is not really a supernatural story. It's, mm-hmm. not, a, it's not a werewolf story. Strange that this would be because this one is historically based. Mm-hmm. He went way out of his way in his research mm-hmm. to base this on an actual historical right. event. Right, right. So, odd that this would be what he... what he got behind behind the yeah. camera for first,
1: and and remember, of course, uh, uh, at at one point he never really had designs on being an actor either. So I don't really know if he That's carried trying. the designs for being a director for all that long, or if he just sort of fell into this as well as he did the the, 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 uh, the
0: implications yeah. that I've read mm-hmm. are that he wasn't originally going to be the director, but as soon as the uh, the idea presented itself, he kind of ran with it, mainly mm-hmm. because, as you've already mentioned, his feeling that he's often worked he had, he had often up to that point worked with directors he didn't feel mm-hmm. had a a, a good Grasp of what mm. should be done with the horror genre, mm. so I'm sure it was you know six mm. of one half a dozen of another in a sure. way. This is Inquisition, or as I like to jokingly refer to it, Witchfinder Nashi. <laughs> and uh, this is uh, this film is definitely influenced in its tone. Definitely have to put this down to being influenced by not just Witchfinder General, the right. the Michael Reeves film starring mm. Vincent Price, which is of course an, ama- an amazing film, yes, a, a great movie, and also a little more recently at that time. Uh, Mark of the Devil mm-hmm. and its immediate sequel, and kind of a slew of films that were made yeah. in Mark of the Devil's wake.
1: I mean, what would you call what What would you call just uh, witch you know witch torture films or you know so, yeah, uh, um, yeah, we, Inquisition I, films? I mean, it's, it's 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 it was definitely definitely you could say Witchfinder General pretty much kicked it off in the late sixties, and it did carry on through the seventies. Uh, this film actually comes a little bit later than some of those other films, almost at the tail end of. Uh, but there was this whole slew of of films that. That used as their focus uh, the persecution, uh, you know, like it, it could either be the Salem witch trials or the Spanish Inquisition, but always something to do with a the general theme of the sort of the general insanity behind the persecution of
0: uh, well, and and the general insanity heretics of, uh, that sort yeah, of heretics and witches, but also kind of the general insanity of a large measure of organized religion. Sure, because sure. you could mm-hmm. lump also a film like The Wicker Man into that, very much so, yeah. uh, which is a, a film very much about mm-hmm. uh, a clash of religions in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. This is this is an exceptional little film. This is not. Uh, I I don't know where. By by the, by the end of our discussion, mm-hmm. I'll ask our standard question sure, about right. <clears throat> where do you think this ends mm-hmm. up in his his filmography. I find this be to be a really strong one to go back to because, other than uh, a few weaknesses in the first third, which I'll discuss, I think it's an incredibly strong film. I think it by the midpoint the movie hits its stride so mm-hmm. strongly. Yeah. That it is simply a pleasure to behold. I think it's yeah. clunky at the beginning, but we'll get to that. Let's go ahead and start the discussion of the film.
1: Okay.
0: All right. The film starts with uh, the credit sequence, under which we are shown a procession of peasants and, well, look to be church of- church officials or monks, mm-hmm. taking a wagon load of dead bodies to a mass grave. Mm-hmm very obviously these are people who've died of the Black Death the
1: plague and right. oh, by the way just in case just so everybody knows we will be making no Monty Python references we will be making no Mel Brooks references Whoa. and so if that's what you've come to us for that's not how we roll so just you'll have to go elsewhere for...
0: oh come on <laughs> I've even gotten in my notes I've got I've got
1: I've Bring got, out your, of course you did out, you of, course I up, got, of course I've got bring course out you your death okay I mean. alright I take it back we will be making <sighs> okay Monty, I'll make that just that one okay just the one
0: just the one <laughs> All right. So there it is, we've done it. You stepped on my joke and made me. Oh, you know, I did. Cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Erase this. I'll survive. Yeah. I'll survive. Yeah, Start we'll, again. This this will Start never go again. Out. Yeah. We can't we can't we can't we can't let the public <laughs> be privy to, to this embarrassment of mine.
1: Oh, well at any
0: rate, that's what mm. that plays out under the credits. Mm. And then we are introduced to uh, three men riding across the country on horseback. Uh, one is played by Paul Nashi, and he has two companions. Now Nashi's looking quite dapper.
1: I was about to say he's, he wears the beard well, wears the facial hair well. He's a dashing man.
0: Here's a question for you: Do you mm-hmm. think he grew the beard for this film, or do you think it's uh, it's it's stage stage makeup stage stage beard?
1: It was makeup. I thought was pretty damn good because it never occurred to me. So it must have been pretty good because I it never not tell a, you know. because
0: you know by the end of the film he doesn't have it for various reasons right, we'll get to. Right, right. But I couldn't be sure. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering because I kept looking as I maybe a better looking print or a sharper you know a sharper mm-hmm. image would show us for sure one way or the other but I couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bearded Mister Nashie playing Bernard de Fosse,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, a real historical yes. character, mm-hmm. is riding across French countryside with his two companions. And
1: speaking of what you like you mentioned there being a real historical character, uh, that was what was neat. One of the things that was neat for me in the, in my discovery of this film that I'd never seen before and reading about it when I first started to watch it and it was set in France, I was thinking it was the old thing about, okay, we can't set our horror movies in spain so we're going to set this one in france this is actually about the spanish inquisition <laughs> but we're going to it in france but then in reading about the backstory now it turns out that the this sort of thing that went on in france actually took many more lives even than the spanish inquisition it was even more horrific than what was going on well yeah apparently in spain. and apparently, then and, yeah. yeah
0: apparently comparatively what went down in spain mm-hmm. was not nearly as horrific as what happened in france and, and a few other countries right. so. and then
1: and like you said that actually this was based this movie is based on a true and on a, on a true incident
0: well, Nashi playing Bernard de Fosse, along with Nicholas and Pierre, his two companions, are uh, traveling through the French countryside. Uh, this, of course, takes place in the in 16th century France. Mm-hmm. They stop for a meal, and uh, th- this was kind of an odd scene. I don't really don't mm-hmm. really understand why it's there, honestly, and, except maybe to to show their piety, which we would get from the context mm-hmm. of what happens later on as well. But they've stopped to eat a meal, and a um, a procession of uh, monks go mm-hmm. by.
1: Just guys who, I guess, are just, uh, you know, some of the guys that are going with the monks have chains around their feet, but it might just be all more acts of penitence, probably, you know. Yeah, probably just
0: penitent. Yeah, 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 okay, okay. But this establishes that uh, the younger of the the Mm -hmm. two companions really fears the plague.
1: Yeah. As in,
0: scared, Mm -hmm. shitless Mm -hmm. of the plague. Mm -hmm. It's a major concern for him, which, hey, I mean, I I can understand. It's, (laughs) oh, the lepers are over there. (laughs) Where they should stay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I understand. I really get it. Nashi explains that uh, they have a job to do, and Pierre mm-hmm. needs to take it to take to take mm-hmm. this seriously, mm-hmm. and to stop acting like a little wuss. Is yeah. basically what it boils down to, and not in quite so many words.
1: But. You get the feeling that I mean. Here we see at least that DeFosse, as far as he's concerned, is he's he's pretty much wearing the armor of God. You know, they're like they're right. they're they're because they're on a mission from God. Then this this plague stuff is just going to bounce off exactly. Yeah, off yeah.
0: And you see that night after they've bedded down, Nashi's character uh, DeFosse, is up reading. And he's reading from this really large book. And in a voiceover, we hear him uh, relating the material that he's reading about, which is how Satan worshippers go about their business, detailing some of the things they do and how they go about what they do. And uh, that gives you a glimpse into why he's so adamant about uh-huh. them being on some kind of important mission. They arrive at a village that has been ravaged by the plague. A, a couple of the houses, as they as they ride in, have been X'd out. They've had the big mm-hmm. red X put on the door by people, which means right. that it's been, cle- been cleared out and everyone inside has been, de- has been killed by the plague. He takes Pierre into one of the houses where uh, some people are still alive but suffering from the disease, telling him, I, I want you to meet the plague face-to-face. I mean, he's really kind of... Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, almost he's... hazing in a way. It's like, Pierre, you've got to deal with this, buddy. Come on, takes him into this Thank little you, hovel. Sir, may I see another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: takes him into this little hovel. Sees a couple of plague vic- victims. One of them, a an attractive nude woman with sores and gaping kind of wound on her stomach. And as they're standing there, she expires. The locals wrap her up and take her out to this wagon, of course, to be I'm assuming carted off to yet another. Mass grave,
1: right? right.
0: And uh, as they leave, someone paints the big red X on the door because everyone now inside of that hovel hovel was now dead. Uh-huh. Now we cut to a couple meeting in secret to uh, make love uh-huh. or make out, however you want to put it.
1: They're obviously <laughs>
0: lovers. It's a young couple uh, by the name of Catherine and Jean, right? Oh, they they are actually this is this is this is obviously one of uh, a series of meetings that they've uh, that they that they've had on a fairly regular basis and uh, both of them are apparently in love with each other and they talk about the fact that they want to be married and all this kind of thing
1: that her father won't be happy wouldn't be happy with it and I guess the idea is that Jean is wanting to go to Toulouse to um, what does he say I know it's something there to he need, yeah
0: he needs to he, if he wants to go talk to his uncle who's apparently a very wealthy man in Toulouse Right, right right okay. To get his okay for what he wants to do, which is to take a chunk of land there in the the, the town they actually live in, and um, start his life, he wants he wants to get it get his uncle's okay to get married and start his mm-hmm. essentially adult life.
1: And if he can show that, then he figures he can come back with something to show her father. Right, that so he, Catherine's he
0: father won't object to him right. because he he'll be a landowner and he'll mm-hmm. have he'll have means and therefore be someone that he would be okay having his having his daughter marry. The, the two of them separate, go their separate ways really quickly, so that Catherine can go back home. Uh, we find that Madeline, her uh, her adopted kind of her adopted Sisters, sister, yeah. Madeline mm-hmm. has been kind of the watch out, the lookout for the the two lovers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And as they're walking back from their rendezvous.
1: Yeah, is it yeah. is it safe to use a French term <laughs> when we're talking about French <laughs> people on the success? I, I think it's allowed. I guess, I think uh, it's-
0: um, they're walking back, and Catherine's talking, telling Madeline that you know, looks like the pl- you know the plans are going ahead. He's going to get the okay from his uncle and everything. And they're walking back, and Madeline is very happy about this. She's obviously very happy about Catherine's relationship with Jean. Mm. But as they're walking back, uh, uh, an owl flies across their path. And this kind of freaks Madeline out. She says that's a bad omen, and an owl flying across their path. I had never heard anything about owls and omens before in my life, so I did a little did a little research, and I found that uh, certain types of uh, owls are considered bad omens. Strangely enough, in France, there's a difference made between eared owls, which are considered symbols of wisdom and earless owls, which considered birds of ill omen, but I couldn't find anything about, you know, the owl crossing your path, like a black cat or anything like mm-hmm,
1: that.
0: Mm-hmm. But um, kind of strange that I'm thinking this is made just another little bit of weird research or information that Nashie had yeah. decided to, to kind of place into the story as kind of local color a little bit of extra detail
1: yeah yeah he 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 shows off a few points in the show at a few places in this film his uh his uh the fact that he's a very well read and man and he knows his knows his business there's you know some some things some details he throws in throughout the film that little bits of reference to historical uh, facts and books and things like that
0: very true so next we are introduced to a gaggle of girls who are, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. I know where I know. My first thought was, I I want to live here. Was this place? Yes. <laughs> these just, beautiful, yes, it's, it's it. like eight just stunning women all in yeah, all in, <laughs> in one, one
0: place, place, and they're helping one of their number being fitted for her wedding dress. One of the one of the girls there is uh, Elv- Elvira or Elvira, pardon. Elvira, mm-hmm. Elvira, who's played by Julia Sally. Yeah, who uh, Elvira is actually Catherine's. Full sister. Right. They're the, they're the two sisters. But this is one of the confusing moments in the film because... It takes as a we're, while to straighten yeah, all this out here. We're introduced to this group of girls. And there for a while you think, my God, does Catherine's father have... <laughs> Eight daughters or twelve daughters or a zillion? Dollars. What the hell is going on? It's a little while. It's actually a good ways into the film before you can really
1: yeah, dope yeah, out exactly that. Apparently, that, these are all all the rest. These are just friends, and I guess they're all neighborhood girls helping this one girl getting ready for a wedding. Uh, but but yes, it it it, uh, um, it was confusing. It, it was a little confusing for a while to, to get it all straightened out as who was who.
0: Yeah, I almost wanted a scorecard or some on screen <laughs> prompts to tell me, okay, <laughs> Madeline yeah. is. Kind of an adopted daughter of these two, and she's really kind of just really kind of runs the house for mm. the father. Mm. And Elvira is the younger, younger one, sister yeah. and Catherine is the older sister, and all these others are just their friends. Right, but it does get a little bit a little bit confusing until it all gets doped out. Mm-hmm. It takes a little too long to really get that all doped out because you're trying to figure out who who these people are and how they relate to each other. Mm-hmm. But um, while the while the girls are there. A servant enters the room, and he's a really foul-looking guy, Renovar.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: He has got a missing eye. He's mm-hmm. got a bit of scar tissue on his face. He apparently uh, fears shaving. and <laughs> <laughs> Also, not, not too sure if he's ever completely immersed himself in water. He He, <laughs> isn't, he looks like he probably <laughs> smells pretty bad.
1: Yeah.
0: He's, he's obviously a servant around the house, or uh, around the... Uh, Around around the town too, so, as far as we can tell.
1: Yeah, he's he, apparently gone to get wedding uh, ribbons for this this upcoming wedding, and, and he comes and tells Elvira that he gives her a box of it says, "Here's the ribbons you asked for." So, yeah, he's apparently just an overall all around I don't know Andy man? A, Yeah, I mean, I, he never really makes clear whether he's employed by their father or if he's just sort of yeah just sort of lurks around the village. But don't but know. every time he enters a room, everybody just kind of winces at his. Uh, <laughs> L- lack of hygiene and, and lack of uh, physical he's he's an unsavory there.
0: looking guy. Now he's yeah. played by an actor named Antonio Ituranzo, mm-hmm. and he's a Spanish actor. I I, look, I looked him up. He was in. Uh, he's been in a, a number of very interesting films. I knew I knew him from Cut uh, Cutthroats Nine oh, yeah. from okay. uh, 1972. That, okay. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Which is a vicious, violent little spaghetti western that uh, I understand is actually being remade. Wow, I don't know how. They're going to remake it and keep the punch that that film has. He was on, he was in Island of the Damned as well. Mm. The uh, the wonderful film came out the same year, also known as Who Can Kill a Child? Right, right. And uh, did a lot of Spanish television and uh, actually apparently continued working up until about 1996. And I'm mm. assuming retired. Uh, he passed away seven years ago in mm.
1: 2003.
0: Okay, but he's uh, he's very good in this film. He gets a juicier role than I think you would expect. Oh yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, but uh, he play he plays um, Renovar mm-hmm. or Renovar. It's pronounced a, it's pronounced those two different ways in the film yeah. itself.
1: He will probably pronounce it four or five other ways. Yeah, too I'll probably pronounce yeah, it. At least this, like three.
0: <laughs> but uh, he, of course, is standing there, kind of eyeing the girls, which would be natural for anybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. they're very yeah. attractive, especially. Let's just state this outright. Julia Sally. Wow.
1: Yeah, is Gorgeous. a
0: stunningly beautiful woman, and she's. Okay. Uh,
1: Talk about somebody who is uh, inter- whose career is intertwined with with Paul Nashie's. It's amazing. I think I counted maybe ten movies that they were in together. Uh, counting all the genres, of, well, I, I wonder if she was in. Uh, I wonder if there was anybody that was in more movies with Nashie than her. And, I don't
0: know. I'll tell you this. She was in the Last Kamikaze. Operation Mantis, Beast and the Magic Sword, uncredited in The Beast with the Magic mm-hmm. Sword, mainly because she was a producer on the film as well.
1: Right, that's someone's going to bring up too, is she actually was a producer on several of these films.
0: She was in Panic Beats, of course,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Night of the Werewolf, Human Beasts, mm-hmm. one of the films we still haven't watched. Of course, Inquisition, she was in The People Who Owned the Dark, mm-hmm. Death, of the Pre- Death of a President. She was in... The fourth Blind Dead film as well.
1: That's right. So she has. The she us, was uh, in Night uh, of the Seagull. The Acerio, Acerio, uh, connection but, there as well.
0: But as her career moved on, she did segue into being a producer, and it was always with Paul Nash's right. films, with his right. productions. She started as a producer on Human Beasts. Was a producer on Night of the Werewolf, Panic Beats, and. This, this all the way up to 1984, she was producer on several of his films until she appears to have retired at that point. Appears to have retired in 84 and that's where her resume ends in the film
1: world. Yeah. Um, if anybody out there, I mean, talk about somebody who, who whose career deserves a retrospective. If there's anybody out there who knows of an uh, interview that's ever been done with her, where they, I mean, it's, it's I well, would, I it wonder, fascinating. I if wonder
0: if that new, nasty documentary, the man who
1: saw Frankenstein cry or? yeah the
0: man who saw Frankenstein cry I wonder if possibly if she got interviewed for that wow that would be interesting I don't, I don't know yeah. I, what yeah. she did at different yeah. times and for various reasons
1: at this point um, Catherine returns from having seen John comes back uh, with Madeline and from the other girls' reaction, especially Elvira, this, they they kind of they of course know what's up, and Elvira, they they do appear aware. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, even and uh, Elvira even says something to the effect of, "Well, you're late again," and then you know, uh, indicating that uh, she's probably pushing the chance of her father finding out about this because she's been gone been gone so much. But uh, they're all at the same time happy to hear that Jean is does plan to marry Catherine. And uh, then it's either Madeline or Elvira, and I can't remember which, but tells uh, Catherine that they're going to be having fixing a big dinner that night because three men have come to stay as guests of their fathers.
0: And that's when we get to the scene with uh, around the dinner table. Because
1: you can guess who the three men
0: are. Which are Bernard de Fosse, Pierre, and Nicholas. Uh, uh-huh. And they are uh, sitting, t- sitting to table with Catherine and El- Elvira's father. Armand. Yes, Armand. But they're discussing the fact that they are that they are essentially traveling witch finders mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's that's their job they have mm-hmm. been uh, sent out by the Holy Church mm-hmm. to the Holy Roman Church to s- seek out witches and warlocks and to do away with Satan and his men and his uh, minions mm-hmm. all them satanic minions
2: <laughs> in LaBorde we discovered 300 people who had given themselves to the devil
3: only 50 of them were men the rest women. Because, as I imagine you have heard, the evil one always prefers to use women for his evil business. That's the custom, it seems. Yes, sir, I know. I know. The contention is, women are weaker. We have determined that we must seek out and punish all of those in this region who have made a pact to serve the devil. We have
2: received information. We know that witches and warlocks are growing more numerous every day in
4: this area. Yes, you're right. The good Christians become more fearful every day. Our fields are now barren. Our wives—why, they're no longer even able to have children. Our cows die from no apparent reason, and we are threatened by the plague.
3: In Acts as well as in Laborde, we tortured and burned over two hundred warlocks who confessed. And that included several who were quite prominent—a surgeon, men who were even magistrates, men just like yourself. It was difficult and very complicated. But I completed my job.
2: An end was put to the heresy. The same will be done here.
0: Now, did that sound like a veiled threat?
1: <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. That
0: sounded like a veiled threat.
1: The subtitles it? would have said, watch your ass. Yeah,
0: because right? yeah. we, uh, well, you know, we have the Holy Church behind us, and we can do whatever we want. Anyway. Well, well, we oh, should I'm mention sorry, that. Sorry. Had, I, had we oh.
1: allowed that audio clip to play, or had we gone further, you would have heard this big swell of music. Because Catherine comes in. Yes. It's 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 a, it's a nice little bit of humor in a pretty humorless film uh, because it's right in the tail end of him right in the tail end of him saying. That basically Satan speaks women because well they're just weaker. She basically walks in as like the the pr- pretty much you know you might as well just had a big hammer come down and hit Defossé on the head because he is <laughs> <laughs> we can see it in his eyes as he's just like the <laughs> you know <he's> just <laughs> I know well that's
0: that's true. Uh, Catherine Catherine was serving them uh, mm. serving them food serving mm. them their their mm. uh, their meal mm. and uh, it's very obvious that uh, Defossé is rather smitten immediately yeah. mm-hmm. with Catherine and I I don't mean to be mean spirited or anything but. She's not the sister I would have been utterly blown away by. It would no. be the younger one, Miss played by Julia Sali, mm-hmm. that I would have lost my mind over. But hey
1: Yeah, well it's uh that's one of the things I think is kinda of interesting about the the film is I really think that even though the actress playing Catherine, I mean, she's an attractive woman. Oh, she but is. compared to yes. I mean, there's actually several much more conventionally beautiful, more stunning women in the film and I think it's actually kind of more of a, you know, it's a hint that as her it's not just her, just her looks that Defossi finds himself drawn to, but just the fact that she's a very strong character. I think there's something about her that fascinates him. As we as we begin to go on, something about her
0: because and, because because it gets worse as time goes on. He the mm-hmm. longer he's around her, the more right. attracted to her he is, and that's right. that's a very interesting aspect to this to this tale. So the next day, the I believe it's uh, is it Pierre or Nicholas one of them is nails up the Pierre uh, is the one that nails up the nails up the, the proclamation to the church door there in town, and. Uh, of course, playing to the realism. None of the none of the locals can really read,
1: right? So right. one of the church officials <laughs> yes. reads yes. the thing out mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm.
0: That uh, the at a certain time the next day, uh, everyone's to be to be gathered uh, in the church to be told what is required of them by the witch finder, by Defaussé. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. call him by name. Now we see Defaussé in his chambers
1: before before oh, that, At the tail end of this scene, of course, there's a play. There's apparently like some. A, a carnival of sorts, or what? What, what they could scrape together in the these times, which is, yeah. basically looks like it consists of a dwarf and a guy and a <laughs> death. You know, this this is basically playing in the dirt. <laughs> this is in the ice capades, You know, this is about all you about the, all the traveling entertainment you're going to get. But at the tail end of the, I believe uh, Pierre, which this is, I guess another thing where we're trying to set up Pierre is not such a bad guy. As Pierre actually tosses a, a coin to the dwarf, but a weird right. little throwaway line here as he picks it up. Uh, one of the girls in the village, who uh, I believe was one of these the women. who oh, it's was one of the, the, it's one of the gaggle says, of girls. Yeah. She says to the the dwarf, she she says something to the effect. She says, "Yeah, take take it you Judas." Calls him a Judas, which we never really find out what that means or what the implication, but it does yeah, end up right. having a importance because yeah. she's overheard by Renever. Uh, he's saying he behind her, hears her say it, and even though we never really know what she means when she says this to this dwarf, those words do come back to haunt her, as we'll see, because Renever's ears are everywhere, and uh, he's
0: yeah, he, River's always lurking about. He's uh, he's at the edge of the frame. He's always uh, yeah. in a crowd,
1: and he's gathering information. He's got a yeah. Well, we'll go. On. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll, we'll see what Renover's we'll get to got. that. Yeah.
0: Next, we see Defosse uh, in his in his chambers, looking over. Looking over that large book that details mm-hmm. the satanic, uh, satanic information, the information about demons and all this kind of stuff.
1: Well, at one point I know he tells uh, Armand he's kind of rattling off again. It's kind of saying like uh, Nashie, uh showing off a little bit of his knowledge. Is he he yeah. rattles off the I think it's Malus Maleficarum and and, mm-hmm. and a few other books which were truly historical yeah. old books written about witchcraft. So he kind of throws out a little bit of uh, well, data well, there that uh, he
0: tosses out. He tosses out this information and then talks about his own conclusion, DeFosse's conclusion that the devil is universal, the Sabbath is always the same. Essentially he, he all he has to look for are the mm-hmm. same That's patterns right. and the same kinds of activities anywhere he goes and he'll be able to track down the witches and yeah. and, and root them out. While he's there studying or whatever mm-hmm. it is that he's doing there, he see he sees Catherine again and this time she notices him paying a bit more than normal attention to her. Mm-hmm. And you get the feeling that this kind of creeps her out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Next we have a very interesting scene. A scene that I would like to dwell on and go back over and over and over again (laughs) as long as we have the visual. Because what it is is um, the next day in the blinding beautiful French sunlight, we have uh, four of the gaggle of girls bathing nude in a river.
1: As I'm sure they did. As day. I'm sure
0: they they they're they're playing really. They're not mm-hmm. cleaning themselves. Yeah. They're just playing and having mm-hmm. fun and splashing each other and joking and laughing and looking all kinds of naked, mm-hmm. nude. Did <laughs> I note? Did, did I mention that they weren't wearing any clothes? They are yes, yeah. naked. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the
1: the old pause button got 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 to work out. I think the, on, the <laughs> the, the, the on that. The pause and
0: team. the rewind and the mm-hmm. replay and the yes, yeah. can we put this on a, on mm-hmm. a constant loop?
1: Well, this is to make up for the fact that since we're in the 16th century, unfortunately, I'm sure he tried, but there was no way that Nashie could work in miniskirts and or turtlenecks and the storyline. So since we, we don't get the revealing clothes, we get to have the nude. Uh, yeah.
0: You could be right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm willing to let him have the completely nude women. If it, mm-hmm. it, it I, I, I personally would rather have the miniskirts. I mean, mm-hmm. hey, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that the miniskirts are probably the best way to go, but if he's got to throw mm-hmm. four gorgeous naked women at us, um, every five or ten mm-hmm. minutes, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to complain. I I understand the stresses he's under, mm-hmm. the restrictions he, that he's required to adhere to. Okay, I can't do that with a straight face anymore. Okay, uh, but feeling like the sick voyeurs that we are, staring at these women. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Renover's
1: off in of the bushes so What doing does that the same say about thing. us? I know. Yeah. What is that? Well, I have two eyes though. You cannot compare me to Renover because I have two eyes. So
0: <laughs> well, I do love the fact this is is a neat little way of. Making us, if you're if you're paying attention, you have to realize that in a way the film just compared you to this uns this this hey, unsavory of course, fellow of this course, yeah. this Toretto ter- because he's off in the bushes staring at these and we've just spent probably mm-hmm. a good solid minute kind of going <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> look at the look at the look at the breasts, it's, just, yeah. you know, it's it's the same and, thing
1: and 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 it actually does have an important. I mean, it does. It's not just a throwaway scene for that reason either, because it, it's. Uh, well, I'm going to debate
0: it, you on that. Okay, okay, we'll because do that. this is what it comes. Let's tell down what to. does here. Renover, uh, go runs over and steals their clothing. They put all their clothes in a pile. It, there looked, next like to about, it looked like
1: about. It didn't look like enough clothing for four <laughs> women. It looked like about two pieces of clothing. I'll, but we'll. Anyway. I'll grant you that. Nevertheless, <laughs> they
0: they see him running off with of the clothing and come out of the river, and. One of them swears to make him pay. I mean, they're they're mm-hmm. really pissed off, and they swear to make him pay. When do they make him pay? What do they even attempt to do? No, that's actually to give not. No, no,
1: you're right. That's not what I was referring to. I think oh, okay. they are right, well, and I I don't think they're really no, no. Basically, well, it's probably not too much further in there, but uh, yeah, Rinnova remember, is storing up all this fake information that he can use to because oh uh, now, yes for his own purposes. True. And when he, uh, and pretty soon after this, we see Renever is basically bending the ear of Nicholas, who is the older of, of uh, Paul Nashie's two companions, of DeFosse's two companions. It's actually the,
0: nec- it's, it's actually the next it's Is it scene the next with, scene? It's, well, it's the next scene with him in it, yes. So
1: the next time we see Renever, he's, uh, he's basically talking to Nicholas and he's telling him all these things he's seen around the village and mentioning, first of all, the, the dwarf the, called the, a the, Judas.
0: Yeah, the insult to the dwarf. Dwarf, yeah. he
1: said she called him a Judas. And then he mentions that uh, one of the girls was seen running through the woods naked. Well,. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, before he tells, before he tells him that, did you notice that he 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 tells the dwarf thing, which is true? We know we saw it, right? And then he makes a bunch of crap up. Oh, like, sure, he does a lot of it's one, lies. One of the girls was seen peeing peeing in a yeah, hole well, in the that's ground, and mixing the urine with the dirt, and all this, okay, shit, which okay, is like which really? tells us he's into
1: water what? sports, and I'm not into water sports, so I'm not <laughs> Renover. So do not compare me to Renover again. But, I, will, I
0: will I will attempt to later on, but never. Leave. But I
1: think. That, but I think that he. Uh, when you know, because you think about it, obviously the girls had to return home naked, and so right,
0: exactly, and, and so
1: what? he could actually even he could actually throw that off as a as a true thing, even though he's the asshole who caused it. He actually, in a sense, so so basically, he's you know, even though the scene there is, seems like just kind of a. A weird little bit of nudity and and humor with them stealing their clothes it actually comes to has pretty dire consequences uh, a, a little down the line. Although we get the impression that it really didn't matter if that had happened or not because Renever could just tell Nicholas this and Nicholas oh, and my decline and, and sinker. He's like, I trust you because you're ugly and smell bad, and so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's face it. Well, let face is it this... because he's eager to. I mean, they're they're yeah. there to to do action. It's not going to be any do any good if they get there and. Well, no, the but, village but it does clean. It
0: does become one of those things where you, you want to reach in and just slap the crap out of one of these two guys oh, because yeah, sure. yeah. it appears obvious as the film goes on that Renover mm-hmm. could make up any kind of bullshit story he wants to mm-hmm. and these guys are going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And of course we see that play out in a way that to any modern sensibility is just going to make you roll your eyes. I mean anybody with a brain in mm-hmm. their head is going to go, really? You're going to believe this crap being
1: spewed by this little girl?
0: But we'll get to that scene here yes,
1: in a moment. Yes, because that's uh, coming up for uh, pretty soon too, isn't it? Um,
0: around the same time, uh, Madeline goes to visit Mobile. Right now, she lives uh, apparently out in the hills, outside of the outside of the ra- the, the village itself. Madeline is worried about uh, the witch finder, and it's quite clear that Mobile is a witch. Yes, she considers herself a witch. Now, in this instance. It would appear that Mabil is a witch the way a doctor is probably
1: was like the midwife and was yeah. you know and and, and uh, uh you know, knew basically weird little home remedy kind of stuff. Precisely. Uh, now interesting that name mabil I don't know, did that ring a bell with you at all? Uh, a, uh that sure. was uh the uh the name of uh the uh the evil the female part of the evil duo in Horror Rises from the Tomb. Uh, was uh, Helga Linay's character Mabile Mobile Delancre. Uh, so oh, again, it's another yeah. case of sometimes Nashie likes to reuse some of these names that have a you know a certain for certain types that's of true. characters. I just thought that might be an interesting little nod back or a name that he.
0: No, that I had not. Gets, uh, uh, I had not made that connection. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. He, he's reusing a name there. But Mobile considers herself a witch, and apparently one of her, one of her uh, major stocks in trade is love potions, and that's what Catherine wants from her. Uh, she wants to love Potion so that she can help Catherine make sure that Jean really does love her mm-hmm. and therefore marries her. This is a really sweet scene in a lot of ways. As strange as it may seem, I, I love the scene because it plays with Madeline, who honestly loves her friend Catherine, and yeah. wants to make sure she's mm-hmm. happy. She wants to make sure that Jean is not some guy who's mm-hmm. just you know telling her what mm-hmm. she wants to hear so he can have sex with her and then mm-hmm. run off.
1: Right. And the fact that uh, earlier in the film, Madeline pointed out the thing about the owl crossing their path, that, that kind of sets up Madeline as a somewhat superstitious character. So yeah. it, it then plays into the fact that she goes to see this, that she is, is has gone to this witch before for help. True, true, and true. And in her powers.
5: The men that are at the house of my master, they have nailed proclamations everywhere and shouted them throughout the streets. All of us are threatened. They are powerless, my dear, to harm me. One of them is in Carcassonne and will return with a lot of soldiers. They will soon begin the persecutions. Madeleine, just say it. Mabil, you know how I feel about Catherine. Her family's taken care of me since my parents were murdered. I've been raised as one of them.
6: I know. And now what did you come here to ask of me? Catherine
5: pines for a young man. She loves him so. He's more important to her than life itself, I'm afraid. He's he's promised that he'll marry her.
6: It would seem that you do not believe he'll keep his promise, is that it? If he were not to keep it, she'd die. And you want them to be united forever so that he can never leave her. Then you must prepare this potion. Pay close attention, because the least little error in its preparation could bring disaster.
0: Next, we see Catherine and Jean rolling in the hay. Mm-hmm. This is apparently one of their uh, favorite places to go and, uh, shall we say, commingle their juices.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, they are, uh, well, I guess it's post-coital at this point. They've
1: Yeah, we never really seen those two in you know, any kind of stages of undress, but the way they talk, it's very obvious that they... You know. oh yeah, yeah i mean this is
0: this is one of their regular things i'm guessing they get together pretty frequently and one of the neat things about this is that madeline is of course once again playing lookout mm-hmm. and uh through the dialogue they uh they they had obviously been drinking some wine before mm-hmm. they got down to do mm-hmm. the nasty mm-hmm. and uh Jean remarks about something about the taste of the wine mm-hmm. and madeline is listening and it's obvious that madeline had put the love potion into yeah. the wine and it it, they don't draw any attention to it. Nashi very subtly and slyly draws it yeah. draws your attention to it, just briefly with that one little thing, mm. and then it's never mentioned again. So mm-hmm. whether the love potions, you know, the love potions are crap or not, it right. doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. In Madeline's world, she has done what she can do to make sure <laughs> that this relationship <laughs> flourishes and comes yeah. to comes to what it needs to come to. Right. Very sweet. So I I just rea- I really it's like good, this thing. It, it's, it it's a nice well scene. No, it, it is. Really, and so
1: many so so many times the the option would have been they would have, they would have felt they had to show her adding it to the wine or something. Yeah, this would have way been this just, over
0: the top thing, and it's not. It's really right. nicely done, and it's 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 another one of those moments when I like to point I, I like to point to and say that's a, a director a writer director doing something very effectively. Shows that he's been paying attention to the directors he's been working with. Yeah. How how to tell how to tell the story and how to get mm-hmm. across information mm-hmm. briefly and clearly mm-hmm. without bashing you over the head with it. Yeah. Not that bashing you over the head isn't sometimes effective, but mm-hmm. it's not necessary in every case. Mm-hmm. It's it's well played. Well now we get to the Inquisition section, <laughs> because what we have next is uh, a, a lovable, little girl, lovable little urchin, <laughs> A lovable little urchin. <laughs> <We're gonna> go, <laughs> go with urchin. <laughs> She's giving. Uh, no, wait, wait,
1: Dick urchins didn't come along till Dickens, did they? So we're a little bit before. Oh, Dickens yeah, time. that's right. So that would be urchins had been invented. That would the yet. 17th century. Yeah, You're that's right. right. We're, we're 100 years <laughs> off. We're gonna call them She's just a, a brat. We'll just go ahead and color uh, <laughs>
0: This damned little girl mm-hmm. giving ridiculous testimony about uh, well.
1: You gotta hear this folks.
0: Yeah, this is this is a little girl who's been brought in because of Renavar's mm. BS information handed off to Nicholas. Mm. She's giving her testimony to Defosse, Nicholas, and Pierre.
5: It was a Friday and Odile and Peril came for me. They made me undress and gave me some ointments. Continue. It was at night, and we mounted three different animals. Odile on a black dog. Reel was on a large bat, and I was on a lizard.
2: A lizard, you say?
5: Yes, sir, a very large lizard. But it wasn't green like regular ones are. It was red, blood red. And then? We flew way up high in the air. We stopped on a mountain where I never was before. We saw men and these women dancing, and some of them had masks on. This black male goat with three horns on his forehead was seated on this golden throne. Everyone there would kneel before him. Many, many children were playing with these large green bullfrogs, and many demons were jumping around with lighted candles in their hands. And when I saw this, I was so scared. I said, My God, what is this? Then everything disappeared all of a sudden, and I found myself alone and lost on the mountain. If I hadn't come across some woodsmen, I would have died of hunger and cold.
2: Miserable scum. Here. Apprehend them immediately. Yes. Yes, my lord.
0: <laughs> Miserable scum. <laughs> this is okay, this 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 has to be said at this point, which yep. is that the moment where she describes riding a lizard yeah. is the moment when any rational human being should be going, Okay, so the little kid's making shit up. Yeah. No big deal. This is what kids do. But no, the more ridiculous the story becomes, we were flying around and we ended up on a mountain and bullfrogs were leaping from my nostrils. <laughs> They believe more and more of it they they're they believe more and more
1: the and crazier it gets now and but you know lest we dismiss this scene as a as an as an insane scene, that actually oh, once yeah. again has total historical accuracy because many a poor woman and man were sent to their death based on the testimony of a child, and nobody you know uh, this was in the days before dr. Spock, there were no you know no child psychologists in those days you know who could tell them look there's no one more less important in your society." been a child you know who gets less attention now suddenly these kids are getting high on this attention that they're getting and they realize that the more they make shit hey, up yeah if suddenly, i keep talking they'll keep listening suddenly they're the center of attention in the village you know and then that was a that happened in salem it happened there where it was it happened and so, in salem so, so it, it, a,
0: it happened what a couple decades ago yeah. during those insane oh
1: well uh, the, the, the child molestation all the child molestation was,
0: stuff they, at daycare centers and, and stuff It turned out to be total crap i mean yeah.
1: it's so, so you know, yeah, so as funny as this scene is, as hilarious as it is, it, at the same time, it, it fits perfectly within the lore of, of what went on in those times. So, uh, yeah, we never see this little girl again. She basically has done her part. But Renever, <laughs> now, Renever, while she's doing this, Renover is standing there watching it, So, you do get the impression that Renever's probably the one who sought her out and put her up to it. It never, once again, a nice thing of never has to show us that. But we can just kind of draw, you know, draw the lines together and figure out that, that that he's behind this as well.
0: Yeah, and then we get immediately to them having brought in some of these some of these women that the girl has told them did mm-hmm. all this crazy crazy stuff, mm-hmm. and they're stra- and we've got one of them strapped down and being tortured. and
1: mm-hmm. DeFosse's
0: screaming at her to confess.
1: Yeah, she um, right, and one of these women, and I think it's this first one uh, uh, that that is strapped onto the the rack uh, is I believe uh, Eva Leon who. Um, uh, I know that I'd recognize her name from from another couple of Nashi films, at least. But also, I noticed that I think she's the one, if I'm right, who was in the film that you talked about a, a couple episodes ago. That I hate my body. I think you mentioned that you said it's oh, like yeah. just a movie that it sounds Komalski like it's one film. that must be seen. You know, and yeah, about yeah, that. That's she pretty... uh, she
0: she is in I hate my body, the, um, Maria Silva,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I hate my body, which is apparently a pretty hard to come by film. Well worth seeing. She's in it. She's been. Oh, she,
1: House of Psychotic Women. That's the Nashy film that she's in, which um, oh yeah, we'll, well definitely was, get to at some point. But we've. Uh, but I think she might have been in some others too. But uh, she's also
0: in Voodoo Black Exorcist, uh-huh. which I've got to see yes, one day. I've I <laughs> I've, I've heard tell of it,
1: <laughs>
0: and just the name alone tells mm-hmm. me it's a film I've got to view. Mm-hmm. But uh,
1: um, yeah, so I believe that she is the. Fir- I believe she's one of these two women, and I'm pretty sure she's the one that they that they first that they first have here on the. Uh, yeah. um Peril and o- Odile. Yeah, and I believe she's playing Piriel. So yeah, mm-hmm. she is. That's correct.
0: But uh, she's strapped down. And these are. Uh, we we should point out that um, these are real torture implements. These apparently are the real thing that they mm. use for the film, and they certainly look yeah. Yeah. pretty yeah. torturously dangerous. They're using these torture implements on her. <clears throat> she she doesn't break. So they bring. Her friend in and strap her to this bizarre wheel that I'd really never seen before that which, was a new one on me yeah it's, yeah almost works this, the way of the old
1: pendulum kind of thing it's well, like a, on more of a spinning wheel of
0: blades mm-hmm. that they just slowly bring closer yeah. and closer to the naked chest and it starts mm-hmm. to cut bit mm-hmm. by bit into the chest in between her breasts and mm-hmm. I guess I'd break too if they're gonna shove a big she blade through my it. heart but
1: yeah she breaks pretty quick She's a, but, she, she yeah, breaks and starts her.
0: babbling uh, all kinds of idiotic crap and she starts naming all kinds of names and I guess that's really when it breaks loose because from here on out it's yeah. it's witch burning time, yes. folks. Yes, uh, there's an announcement uh, the next day about uh, witches being burned. This is when I think this is when we meet Emil. It is. Um, Emil is um, Armand's friend, his longtime friend, and apparently, he's uh, sir, he's the local local doctor, right? And he is obviously a very sensible right. man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. As I've said, he, 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 has, he seems to have some sense. He sees very clearly that anybody put to these kinds of tortures mm-hmm. is going to confess to anything yeah. to get it to stop.
4: Mm-hmm. This evening they'll be burned. At the crossing. Chastel Chabot. With things. will die for nothing. What are you saying, Emile? They're witches. They have confessed. After having suffered the most terrible torture. Under such conditions, I would say that I was Merlin the Magician.
3: There's no crime as terrible as making a pact with the devil.
4: You know what it is, Armand. Those creatures that worship the devil, that assist in the Sabbat, practice witchcraft, poor, desperate, unhappy people who are rebelling against hunger, against illness and misery, against the tyranny of powerful rulers.
3: My friend, it is very dangerous for you to be saying that.
4: That is why they invent all of it. They need that, someone powerful who's on their side. I'm convinced that the majority of the witches that are burned are are only, only poor, sick folks, ignorant and frightened. They believe that they can fly high in the air when the only thing they can really do is bundle in their beds and dream. Emile, they'll burn you too. You're my best friend. I wouldn't want to see it. It's possible. I realize what it costs to tell the truth in such times as these.
0: I really like Emil.
1: I do too. I do too. I,
0: I love the line. I realize what it costs to tell the truth in times like these. Mm-hmm. I would say it's the same for any time. Yeah, yeah, sure. Speaking yeah. the truth will get you killed mm-hmm. pretty damn fast. Yep. We have Emil. Who, as we says, the doctor, and in this scene, he's uh, plucking leeches off of Armand's back, which mm. I thought was another nice little detail thrown in.
1: It's a great touch, yeah, because is it is is Nashi trying to make the point that you know that knowledge or ignorance is relative, depending on the you know the time you're in, or you know. But it's interesting because leeches are the one thing from of that they actually did have a practical use. You know, yeah. it's, it's unlike a lot of the wacky bits of medical uh, treatment in those days, like blood lading and things. You know, leeches, on the other hand. Were there was a reason to? They actually were useful to an extent, on, yeah. uh, you know, and and so it's uh it's it's kind of a, I'm interested in, in knowing, but it's a great little visual touch there that as he's talking about, you know the the, the lack of sophistication, and you know we, we see at the same time, you know the 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 well we we, of the we, day, we we we
0: we are definitely shown the stark difference between the superstitious mm-hmm. craziness mm-hmm. of believing mm-hmm. the idiocy of mm-hmm. a child spinning a crazy tale, right, and a man who is is laying flat out the fact that you know people yeah. put under these put into these circumstances are gonna do yeah. any kind of in any of this kind of stuff and and they're not yeah. it's it's not to be believed it's it's yeah. what anyone would do
1: yeah
0: of course the next scene we see our first two witches burned yeah yeah they, once again histor- uh, some historical accuracy here in that it's uh, not uh, it, there were many ways of burning witches and this is mm-hmm. the one of the nastier ways which is they build mm-hmm. a large fire mount the witch on uh, a kind of large ladder type thing and then mm-hmm. just lower the witch onto the fire face first
1: mm-hmm.
0: pretty horrible pretty
1: yep. dreadful really and Renever enjoys it. Renever is watching on. Um, he's, he's, he's he's getting a charge out of it.
0: And he immediately is, of course, spinning more B- BS to uh, Nicholas, uh-huh. implicating a few more people who probably haven't done a damn thing other than look yeah. really nastily at Renever Yep. Uh, now, Defosse is uh, praying for guidance. Uh-huh. He's apparently feeling a little pulled in odd directions. He's looking for guidance for some strength. Mainly because he's drilling over Catherine, he just can't keep his eyes off the woman. Uh,
1: I have to, I have to say this. She, she, she comes into his room uh, to light his fire,
0: <laughs> literally. Yes, but unfortunately, manages to <laughs> metaphorically light yeah, his fire. Right. Um, And he takes this opportunity to talk to her a bit at length about something he's obviously well-versed in, which would be how to spot a demon.
1: Yeah, this is small talk for This is a small (laughs) talk in the 16th century. Uh, What do you think of the devil? I I
0: wonder if, you know, in the the 16th century bar scene, if this kind of talk (laughs) would get him anywhere with anybody. Uh, But I I, I love this. He explains that there are 72 Mm -hmm. infernal princes commanding 7,000 demons is this supposed to get her excited? <laughs> I, I, is this supposed to is she I guess she's supposed to be really impressed.
1: You know. um, this is the equivalent of, honey, two, you know, you yeah, had baby two years of law school, and, and then you know, I've got a position, you know. <laughs> I drive I drive a Mercedes. Yeah, here you go.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, um, uh, show, he shows her some of the images of various demons in that mm-hmm. great big book he's hauling around tells her that anybody could be a demon a wife a husband the 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 person that you lie next to could Mm. in fact be a demon uh he sounds nuts to me
1: yeah yeah
0: um but then he gets really weird with her about yeah you love someone i can tell i can see it you you love someone and uh it's very odd in that she just kind of freaks out a little bit, not that she shouldn't be freaking out, considering, yeah, man, hey, here's okay. some pictures of some demons. And <laughs> anybody could be a demon. Anybody who might touch you could be a demon. Mm-hmm. It's very, I mean, he's unhinged yeah. in a religious fashion. He's right. he's looped right round the bend mm-hmm. and has kind of burrowed his way into the crazy end of this stuff.
1: Yes, very much so.
0: But he presents, this is a very interesting thing, He he does still present a very sane outer facade. I mean, he mm-hmm. doesn't... Mm-hmm act crazy, except when he gets a little vehement about this demon stuff, this demon Mm -hmm. spotting stuff. Mm -hmm. Now we have a a serious jump in the narrative because next we see Madeline talking to Mabil again and we learn we're not shown, but we learn from what Madeline is telling Mabil that Jean was attacked on his way home from Toulouse and killed by robbers, apparently. She is incredibly upset about this. Catherine is devastated. She won't eat. And the bill says that uh, you've got to bring her to me and I will, I will try to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this intense depression. or I can, I can help. Bring her to me and I'll, I'll help. This is a terrible thing, but I'll do what I can. Now, each time I see this film, I, it's one of those moments when I go, well, wait a minute, he should have shown us this, not mm-hmm. told us this. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a reason for that. This mm-hmm. and in this instance, yeah, there's yeah. a good really reason really why is. he's not showing us Jean's death. Mm-hmm. He's got a plan up his sleeve. Mm-hmm. Catherine's father is incredibly distraught. He's speaking with Emile as they play chess, talking about how Catherine is so, is is really depressed. She's she's not eating. She stays in her room. She has, seems to have no energy. And I love the fact that Catherine's father blames. A curse.
1: Of course. Yeah, she's, she's possessed. <laughs> she's possessed.
0: Now, Emil, once again, to his credit, calls total BS on her <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like,
1: uh, come
0: on. But her father seems completely sure. Emil thinks it's all crap.
1: Mm-hmm. So he basically, I think this is where he sends to, because he thinks she's possessed, he's, he's going to have DeFosse go talk to her, you know, right. and I don't know
0: ask, how. Ask him to intervene. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Dad. Thanks. Thanks for sending the guy. <laughs> thanks for sending the guy, the guy who's, who's been burning fooling. all my friends. Uh, and tell. Thanks for telling him I'm possessed. You know. I'm sure. Yeah. He's... Now, see,
0: that's that's another aspect of it. Is like you know, it's almost as if there's more trust for this guy as he kills yeah. witches. You know, yeah. but but it seems I, I I of course think it's it's the flip side of that, which is a total the total fear of someone who has that power. I mean, sure, suddenly yeah. you're going to start deferring to them even more than you would yeah. beforehand him yeah. because yeah. God knows you does. could end up you could mm-hmm. end up trashed next. But uh, Defosse goes to talk to her. Mhm. Tells her he understands uh, that she's melancholy, and tells her that he knows it has to be because mm-hmm. of the death of, of Jean, and that's you know that's really the only thing that's happened recently yeah. that could possibly be that, and says that obviously Jean is the man you were in love with.
1: Yeah.
0: And so he he explains, and he honestly, this is a, a really neatly done scene because he's saying, look, I understand. Yeah. I get it. And he promises to keep this a secret. I'm not yeah. going to let your father know. This is just between you and I. This isn't going any further.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is um, a guy who's basically come in like a buzz all through the rest of the rest of this village. You know, who's basically the scourge of all the other people. But he's entering as sort of a conspirator with her. You know, he's like, with you. I'll protect your. You know, protect I'll protect your secret. Your secret. So,
0: yeah, but he does add in there at the end. He does add in the little creep factor that you know you'll get past this. Life will go on. Just look around you, mm-hmm. and it's uh, obvious there that he. Yeah, there might be a handsome man, yeah, with, be a beard, a handsome man with a back. beard and a lot of power mm-hmm. and the ability to burn witches at the stake that might yeah. interest you. <laughs> <one day. laughs> but uh, he's not—he's not that unsubtle. But it is pretty clear what's going through his head. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, that evening, we see Catherine dreaming. Obviously, she's not been sleeping well. They've been talking about the fact that she's not been sleeping well. But we, this time, get privy to her dream. And in her dream, while a nice acoustic and electric guitar score uh, uh-huh. is layered over uh, the entire yeah. uh-huh. slow motion sequence, we see Jean attacked and killed, not by robbers, but by men who obviously are attacking him specifically to yes. kill him. Right. And who are then paid off by some mysterious hooded figure right. as if... They were assassins, and this was a paid job.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Although this is a dream, she thinks that she's viewing reality. She thinks this has got to be right. what really happened—that mm-hmm. Jean was murdered intentionally. This was mm-hmm. not a robbery; he was killed intentionally. And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because when you're first introduced to the dream, this dream sequence, it reoccurs throughout mm-hmm. the film mm-hmm. as she references back to it. I'll tell you right now: I'm first viewing, I see that, and I'm thinking. I'm along. I'm right with her. Oh, I, I thought too. I, I thought
1: I, I thought we were going to keep seeing the scene because what happens is the hooded figure turns to the scene and uh, turns to the camera. Excuse me, and it's they have it where it's completely blacked out. You can't see his face. I just assumed that eventually we're, they, gonna we're going to find see out see who this was. We're going to find out. I just thought like, well, it's going to be it's going to be Defossi that he knew about her love and and he's had Jean killed. Uh, you know is, is what I was expecting to happen at this point.
0: But it gets more it gets more interesting than oh, that. Oh, very interesting. Well, of course, as days pass by. Defosse and his crew—they've
1: got work to do. They so do. we're
0: yeah. back to the hot coals and we're back to the torture implements down in. I the love li- that there's
1: one point in the film. I think it's earlier. We already passed it, but earlier where he refers to it is working late. You know, it's almost practically. I mean, he says something to the fact of. Uh, he tells Armand, uh, "We. Or I think there's one point. He tells we 'We won't be joining you. You won't. You. You know, we won't need you to join us. Or dinner. Or we won't be having dinner with you. We'll be working late. You know. he says oh, something to true. that yeah, effect, which is that's just <laughs> <right>. <laughs> great but, way of putting uh, it." Uh, they're,
0: they're they're putting hot coals to the chest. Uh, they've got this woman nude, strapped into this bizarre thing, and this is I was about the sequence. To say you might, you might, yeah.
1: yeah. If you're sensitive of sensitive nature, uh, you might want to skip ahead a little bit. Uh, what we're about to talk about here is yeah, not for yeah. the squeamish, not for the. Um,
0: this woman has her her breasts in these kind of gripper implement things, and um, she's of course not confessing, no matter what they do to All her. Right. And uh, until, well, one of the helpers comes forward with these pincer like this pincer-like implement and uh, rips her right nipple off of her breast in one
1: yeah. very
0: effective yeah, scene.
1: I know, you with know, no edits, yeah.
0: it's just right there in front of you, and it looks painfully realistic
1: it does it does unfortunately this isn't like one of those usually when this happens in, in in most films you know that's uh especially from this era it's it's just fake enough that you can kind of <laughs> laugh at it but this is some really awesome makeup here and some really ama- yes. ama- amazing effect so that's you're just going ah ouch
0: i know i I've watched that scene over and over again not because i wanted to but because i kept thinking to how myself they, how uh, the hell did they do that yeah it's a very I mean you know it's you know it's a, it's a really good makeup yeah, effect but, but I can't for good. the life of me tell how they pulled it
1: off. I know it's a totally smooth se- seamless bit of action there. I mean like I you know. said a, it all happens in one cut. Uh, there's
0: there's no cutaway, there's no there's nothing even visually about it that screams prosthetic or rubber or anything. It looks painfully flesh-like and real.
1: Yeah. Luckily, she dies before we have to see it a second time. I know
0: because I was afraid that's what was going to happen. But she expires after.
1: Now her last the words are interesting. Her last she words. Doesn't are, she doesn't
0: confess. No, no. no. She calls them evil men.
1: Right. She asks. She says God. For, she asks for God's forgiveness for them, which is yeah. you know which is which is and pretty she powerful. Dies. Yeah.
0: Now there's a bit of a pause there. Defosse obviously mm. is a is a little bothered by mm. this turn of events, but then he pretty quickly. Because mm-hmm. well you know we'll mm-hmm. have to go through with the burning we'll have mm-hmm. to we'll have to you know throw her on the fire anyway yada 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 so there was a there was a slight it, pause there yeah. for him but nothing nothing
1: that I want to say here too that there's something I thought was interesting about this this film I never we never really get a a real real they they don't obviously make it they don't make it obvious whether all these you know Nicholas Pierre and and Defosse there's, there's never a real strong sense of them getting a sexual thrill from this uh, no. uh, you know it's it shows them watching obviously uh, but but uh, a lot of films were a little more overt and, and sometimes showing that there was a, a sort of a little bit of a sexual glee in this but you never get the you never get the feeling that these guys don't think really believe in what they're doing as crazy as it is Yes. you don't get the feeling that uh, sexual no. exploitation is their motive there. no no no
0: the the three of these men are very religious men mm-hmm. they do feel as if what they're doing is a necessary uh, a necessary act yeah. for the church, for, mm-hmm. they're, they're, that they're serving God, mm-hmm. that what they're doing is the right, proper, correct thing mm-hmm. to save the good people from the evil influences of, of witches.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's That was one of the neater things about Witchfinder General with Vincent Price in that it became obvious that Price's character wasn't above using his station to get laid, right, essentially. Right, right. And to have sexual favors kind of turn his eye from mm-hmm. one person, mm-hmm. one person or one area, mm-hmm. if done properly, and uh, that made that, that that's another layer of Witchfinder General that makes it such a good film. This it takes a different tack, exactly, but is almost. As layered and as oh, sure. complex yeah. in the way it portrays these characters,
1: right? Because you get the feeling from Vincent Price's character, to General, that that was that was not the first time that was common practice for him. On the other hand, with these yeah. guys, you feel like DeFosse's never faced something like this before. You don't get the yeah. feeling these guys go to each town, and and extract sexual favors. For women, from women, you know, you feel like Defossi's never faced this kind of challenge to his, uh, to his, his purity, you know, or to yeah, his, to his, his, pri- to, his piety, yeah, yeah his is
0: piety, it, his way of looking at himself as a, mm-hmm. as a quote unquote good man, because right. uh, it seems that once he gives into that later on, which we'll get to, it he he never feels it, it never he it, it's almost as if he can never really fully recover,
1: right, right. It,
0: once that stumble is made, he he's never pure again. He's never what he mm-hmm. thought he was, right. Madeline is talking to Mobile again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Catherine's telling Mobile about the, the nightmares that uh, Catherine's been having. And as an aside, there's a neat little bit in this scene between uh, Madeline and Mobile where Madeline tells why she sympathizes so much with Catherine. She apparently lost a lover in a very similar fashion sometime before. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and I'm assuming that this would be yet another you know secret lover mm-hmm. situation. Right. I think all of these women are, are victims of, of cruel and harsh fate. I know that the, the talking about the sixteenth century in this particular this particular situation and we'll probably get into this later on, but women didn't have a lot of power and they were really very much at the the mercy of whatever the men wanted or whatever fate kind of doled out to them and whatever the men didn't want they kind of were left with. It's 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 very interesting that Madeline we get this little extra little bit of insight into why Madeline feels so much yeah. for Catherine's situation, not just because yeah. she loves her and she's a, she's a dear yeah. friend, but that they both have suffered now in yeah. a very similar fashion.
1: Well, and it's often been speculated that the persecution of witches, uh, a lot of what motivated that, was a, a jealousy of the power that the midwives did ha- exert yeah. and influence they did exert over the, what went on in the village because of their, their perceived ability to heal and how much connection they had. So, so they were pursued persecuted as much for that than to feel like they really had supernatural powers
0: true true now Mobile says that uh, she can help she can help Catherine to see this assassin's face in her dream with the help of her master who lives below uh-huh. so Mabile really does believe in this this uh-huh. whole worshiping of Satan thing she really uh-huh. buys into the whole thing and also believes in this dream she believes that uh-huh. this dream is telling some some form of truth and says, you know, bring Catherine to me. I'll, I'll help her find a way to essentially visualize this man's face. Right. Now we have another scene between uh, Emile and Armand. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're playing chess. Armand explains that Catherine has been a good deal better uh, since the magistrate talked to her. In other words, since DeFosse talked to her. And Emile notes that uh, people have, well, they've kind of gone crazy a little bit. Yeah. They started turning in every woman in town. I mean, it's to the point where Uh any woman of any age is being called a witch, being branded a witch. And Emile is getting more and more vehement in his dislike of this situation and his anger at Defaussé. He calls him a fanatic and says he's dangerous. This will one day be a shameful legacy for our children. Uh Now, that line, that line right there sums up the entire situation. I mean, it really yeah, is. I yeah, mean, yeah. he's right. I mean, yeah. this is, this is, of course, mm-hmm. you know, a 20th century man writing right. a bit of dialogue for right. a 16th century man. But it's a beautiful piece and, he, and he's absolutely right because in any horrible situation like this as we can see in our current times, mm-hmm. as things go completely crazy, there are people who are standing there going... I can tell you, this is not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. and that's Emile. He has no power. Yeah. He has no way to affect any change. He can't mm-hmm. do anything to stop what's happening. But he is standing mm-hmm. on. He is standing there, looking at Caesar, going, yeah. "Beware the Ides of March." Yeah, this is yeah. not
1: good. And and the character of Emile is that uh, there. In a lot of ways, it was that that could have gone very wrong to have a character who basically openly states. Several times in the film, the yeah. themes that the writer is trying to get across, but it works with this character. Uh, the way the dialogue is written, I felt like because there's several times when Good I tried to analyze and thought to myself, you know, is this character uh, is this hurting the film in a way with him saying so much that's obviously stating the themes? But I think well, it's because I don't think, the, he, I
0: don't think he overstates it. Though.
1: Exactly, that's it. He doesn't overstate it. That's why yeah. I, you know it could have gone right but but he's just perfectly dialed into what he says. Is fits with his character. It's believable and it's not necessarily just like we talked about earlier bashing you over the head with the theme you know he's, he yeah. states it but it very eloquently uh, very well written dialogue
0: well the um, the actor in question the man who plays Emil mm-hmm. uh, his name is Eduardo Calvo spelled C-A-L-V-O mm-hmm. a long career in film he was in I Hate My Body too by the way
1: oh wow geez that was like <laughs> gosh that was that was like a bridge too far or something or just like every, every, <laughs> every star-studded cast actor, I mean, every Spanish actor in the world
0: was in the film <laughs> um, I'm obviously going to have to show you. Maybe we'll do a podcast on "I Hate My Body" completely outside of the Nashville. We may have to. Moment. We may have to. But uh, um. he was in Devil's Possessed with uh, with Nashi before this. Mm-hmm. I see Disco in this. Disco Rojo, He was in The Mummy's Revenge. He was Uh-oh. Sir Douglas Carter. You know, he looked familiar to uh-huh. me. I swear,
1: I felt like I, God. I've seen this guy somewhere before. But he was uh-huh. okay. well. He's dubbed
0: by a different person in this. Oh one. Well, also, well,
1: yeah. You can never tell by that. Uh, but well, wow, he, he plays he
0: plays Doctor Philippe in uh, House of Psychotic Women. He Jeez, was in, in Curse he was in devil? he was he's in Curse of the Devil. He was also in Cutthroats Nine
1: as as was uh, Emma Cohen, also from Horror Rise from the Tomb. So that was basically a Nashi stock uh, company there in uh, in that film. Um, oh,
0: she was she was in uh, Franco, just Franco's rights of Frankenstein too. Wow,
1: interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, good he actor. Appar- he, he plays this character great. He's
0: he's really good in this, and it, and it did make me want to learn a little bit more about him. Yeah, uh, he was in a number of films. He apparently passed away in 1992. Uh, he was in Human Beasts later on for Nashi. He was in the film Paper Heart. He was in Pedro Almodovar's Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown oh, in 88. Wow. But, yeah, apparently he passed away in 92. Did, mm. uh, he ended his days doing uh, a lot of television work, although he interspersed it with film work. But, okay. yeah, a, a really good actor, and he plays this role very effectively. I, just, I, I, can't go, I, I can't praise the cast of this film enough. There's not a weak link mm-hmm. anywhere They do a fine, fine job. Next, there's this amazing scene where we see what Emile was talking about, where it appears that just about every woman in town is being turned in. Where we see a husband turning in his wife, and
1: very nice twist in this scene. Though. Yeah,
0: as the well, yeah, as the as the the wife is being dragged out, the the grandmother who's there, like holding and comforting their child, starts yelling at him, and they they do find they tear the place apart they and find, find, voodoo find these voodoo dolls where they. Where, where somebody has obviously been doing something, and it turns out to be the grandmother who they then haul away as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of like, you know, with each scene, like you said, the hysteria is growing. You know, these, yes. these people are becoming more unhinged with every with each scene, and the battle lines are being drawn in this village. And so it's a very interesting twist on that. It's like, yes, the innocent woman's dragged away, uh, but then you, you find that, that someone else in the household has actually bought into the, the has Satanism bought into this as, as a yeah. way to combat these guys. And so... But, but
0: it does no good because now it's obvious that both the wife and the grandmother are going to die.
1: Yeah. And I, I got the impression There's no of the way child it, nobody too. Get, they dragged away the child too. No, yeah, the nobody's, was, nobody's getting out of it's this. It's like, you know, you know way to go, dad. You know, you just, uh, you just
0: destroyed your entire family. Good job, buddy. Hope you drink yourself into a coma because yeah. that's what it's going to take. <laughs> the next, n- the next sequence we get to, it's a rainy night. and DeFosse has, uh, has kind of worked himself up into a frenzy. Obviously his, uh, his suppressed lust, or yeah. not that suppressed lust for Catherine, is getting to him, and we see him whipping himself, doing the whole self-flagellation thing,
1: revealing this amazing, like either tattoo or scar or something on his arm. You know, when he's uh, when he's when he's, when he's yeah. whipping himself, looks you to know, be a scar. Almost looks like yeah, this like really, which you know, just looks like a really nasty on his on his arm.
0: He's re- he really kind of is going a little crazy in this sequence, beating himself. Well, with he's this seen whip. these visions and of, Catherine, seen visions in this of red, Catherine, red yeah. dress
1: beckoning him and then we get his vision of death which is uh, I think it's, it's, well it's him
0: as death it's it, his own face as oh, right. death it's and, him as this death figure
1: and the way he's dressed it really made me feel it was a very definite reference to the seventh seal which you know let's face it you know yeah. talk about we talked about Witchfinder general kicking off this but in a lot of ways bergman's the seventh seal was really kind of the the film that uh, you know even though it, it, it because of its setting and the plague and and, and witchcraft i mean well just the Hysteria from that time is, in a lot of ways, that's true. Sort of a beginning to this this whole genre we're talking about. Although Witchfinder General brought it into much more what people think of as the the more typical one, I guess. But yeah, he sees his vision of Catherine, then he sees his vision of, of himself as death, and then he basically starts just wailing away on himself.
0: Rough scene, and very, and very, very much lets us uh, once more a little bit inside uh, Defarge's head to see just how mm-hmm. this is playing out in his psyche. Mm-hmm. So. Now we have Catherine going to Mobile to become a witch. Uh-huh. She wants to be initiated. Uh-huh. Her main focus is that she wants to learn who killed Jean.
1: Right.
0: Uh, she is convinced that it wasn't a robbery, that what she's seeing in this dream is true. And she wants to see, she wants to somehow be able to see the face of this person in her dream and know who killed him. Uh-huh. She, gives her, she has to give herself over to Satan. She does this uh, nude solo ritual then she's back in Mobile's hut, lies down Mobile, rubs stuff all over her naked body, um, longingly. I mean, rubs stuff <throat> all over her naked body. It's not sexual at all, I promise. Mm-hmm. Really. And she has visions of a sabbat, mm-hmm. of a, mm-hmm. shall we say, Satan party.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically.
0: Uh, presided over by a devil mm-hmm. who marks her on her face, scratches her face, and she kisses him and this is her vision Her mm-hmm. I can only refer to it as a delusional vision a hallucination mm-hmm. of her initiation into mm-hmm. the worship of he who lives down below Right. very effective, very interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, also intriguing in that this is the only sequence in the entire film where you can see that it's a set yeah. You can see the edges yeah. of the set. Everything else in this film is done very realistically. Very really, so. really good sets. Yes, great uh, good location filming. Very realistic on, in every way. Mm-hmm. But it's as if there was a, a distinct decision to make this look like what it is, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a uh, well, a, a hallucinatory vision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Then,
1: mm-hmm. um, of course, when she, you know. When she wakes up, the dream she has, you know, has the slashes on her cheek. No, she doesn't. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> that's what you think. That's what you think you're going to see. But she does not. Nice little. Once again, now she keeps playing us along on this. That's what you think you're going to see uh, when she wakes from the dream. No, she does not have the scratches on her cheek.
0: Correct. Now at this point in time, Defosse starts inquiring as to who would be the guardians of the two sisters, Catherine mm-hmm. and uh, Eva, uh, Elvira. Mm -hmm. if their father passes away because their father's getting up on in years and his Mm -hmm. health is apparently not that good. I mean, when we're first introduced to Emil, I mean, Mm -hmm. he's using leeches on him. So the man's health is not the best. He's, he's not, he's not in great health. Mm -hmm. And, um, he learns that Emil is -hmm. the man who Armand has named to be their guardian. If he, if he is to die and he doesn't seem to think that's a particularly good idea. And,
1: how does he put it? Uh,
0: I will speak to him. I will speak to your father.
1: Yeah, when he refers to Emil, he's like uh, he says something to the effect that uh, he has ideas that are unconventional or something like that. He says in a yeah. subtle way, you know, uh, uh, that yeah, but he's he I forget exactly how he phrases it, but he doesn't think Emil he thinks Emil's a little too radical for the <laughs> a little too radical for the dad to be the daughter. He likes to
0: use his thinking.
1: Hand. He does. He does. Yeah,
0: yeah he likes to think <laughs> things through, and that just ain't a good idea. <laughs> We see now another ritual. It's obvious that Catherine is going through a series of rituals to initiate herself completely into the Uh worship of the one who lives down below. This one, uh, she swears to serve him faithfully. And as Mabil says, he will reveal all. In Uh other words, Uh once you've gone through this ritual, Uh you will be able to see this person in your dream. And in this vision, she sees... Well, she sees Paul Nashie as the devil. She sees mm-hmm. what would be Defosay as the devil in this foggy room. Mm-hmm. There's a human sacrifice. The throat of a girl is cut. Um, blood caught in a chalice for them to drink. And the devil says to her in this vision, You are now my living altar. Mm-hmm. Nice vision, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well done, but once again... Obviously, a set. These visions of her look; these visions that she keeps having are very stylistically different looking yeah. mm-hmm. from any other sequence in the entire film.
1: Kind of reminded me of uh, uh, the dream sequences in some of the uh, Corman Poe films. I mean, the, the way he would film his dream sequence kind of had that sort of. That's exactly
0: plays. what I wanted to mention. Was that mm-hmm. this reminded me a lot specifically of the uh, the dreamlike sequences in, say, Mask the Red Death. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, in all the Corman Poe films. Mm-hmm. Uh, very nicely done. Had that kind of unrealistic look. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say the image looked a little undercranked at times. Mm-hmm. It looked a little dreamy in yeah. in the movements. And at this point, the girl's father is on their is on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. So on his deathbed, their father, the girl's father, signs away their guardianship to Defosse. Uh, He obviously thinks this is a good idea. He's a bit gullible, and hey, people on their deathbed, they believe all kinds of idiotic crap, (laughs) right?
6: Catherine, Your father's very sick. He wants to see you. I'm talking to you. Father wants you to see him now. Emil is no longer our tutor. The magistrate convinced father that he's the one who should be in charge of the Hacienda and us. Don't worry about it. That man won't be able to do anything to us. My master will protect us. The judge will be destroyed. In fire. Nothing will be able to harm us. Catherine, I'm frightened. If the judge finds out what Madeline and you are doing... When I fly during the sabbat... And when I see the entire earth beneath my feet, when I am able to change the weather just like that, and when I realize I'm in control of it all, everything, what a feeling that is. In the Sabbat, my skin, my insides delight in pleasure. Everything is permitted. Our great master is generous, and he rewards all those who serve him well. Elvir, say that you'll come. You just have to.
0: This is where we see Mabile once again, instructing Catherine on uh, how to kill crops, how to make women barren, how to kill livestock, uh, all the good witchy stuff that you need mm. to know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but Catherine just wants to know, when will I, when will I be given what I want? Mabile gives Catherine a potion to take before she goes to sleep on the night of the first full moon, and before she goes to sleep, she's supposed to think about the person you suspect the most because of course, Catherine just wants to know who the hell killed Jean. I want to see the face in my dream. <laughs> and
1: <let's laughs> not of course, pretend, let's not pretend that she doesn't already have her ideas of who it is. Too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. This, so is, this, we, is, yeah. this
0: is this is this is self fulfilling dreaming mm-hmm. here. She's mm-hmm. this is guided dreaming. Uh, the identity will be revealed. Well, yeah, especially if the identity is who you go to sleep thinking about in the first damn place, right? Right. <laughs> you will use your lust to destroy him anyway. And of course, when she does her little dream thing with the potion, she sees the face of the man turned toward her, and who is it? Mm. It's Bernard de Fosse. Yeah. Of comes course. As
1: a surprise to no one, yeah. Yeah, it comes as a
0: surprise to, well, none of the viewers, anyway. I mean, that's obviously who she suspected, anyway. Right. She, of course, now has her target. She yeah. knows what she's going to do.
1: And she knows how she's going to kill him, with the L word, and it's not love. <sighs> That'd be lust. That'd
0: be lust. Lust, the, the thing that kills all men. <laughs> Uh, also, during this period of time, though, we shouldn't skip over the fact that uh, Renovere squeals on Mobile. He goes directly to DeFosse uh-huh. and uh, says that she keeps company with very important people. And, of course, DeFosse knows that He must be talking about, well, he basically wheels, gets him to say that it involves Catherine and Madeline. Yeah. And so DeFosse swears Renovar to silence. Mm -hmm. Just tells him to keep quiet about this and let's not, uh, let's not make any big deal out of this. Let's (laughs) not, uh, you know, this is not something we need to talk about. Let's just keep Mm -hmm. this between us. Mm -hmm. In short order, Daddy passes away. Mm -hmm. Catherine and, uh, Why do I keep stumbling over Elvira's name? Mm -hmm. Catherine and Elvira's (laughs) father passes, Armand passes, on a nice rainy night. And uh, quicker than you can say, ooh, those are longing glances you're passing over the corpse. (laughs) The very night, from the editing it appears, that the very night that her father passes away, Catherine walks her happy, begowned self Mm -hmm. into DeFosse's rooms and uh, let's just say seduces him. Would that be the best way to put it, I guess? I believe that's the word. Etherin,
2: why are you here? And at such a late hour?
6: You don't know. You wanted me the first time you saw me. You got rid of Emil so you could come to my bed.
2: No. No, my motives were pure. I wanted only the best for you and your sister.
6: My sister? When you know it's only me you love. Well then Take me
2: Now Catherine I beg you Go away Catherine I'm ruined I know it
1: I know it
0: He's trying to control his his lust. He's he's yeah. not succeeding. Yeah. He's, he's he's trying to remain pure, but he's failing.
1: And but, by the way, saying by the way saying Catherine, I'm ruined. I know it is not really the best words to use when about to going into great sex, but uh, apparently it must. Oh <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, yeah. <you laughs> although hope it's great sex. although probably it's something that all you know we all think somewhere deep inside us before it's just I'm ruined. I know it. But I'm <laughs> I'm going to jump in and enjoy this anyway. You know. And, well, and, uh, I mean, yeah. let's let's be honest. If you're yeah. going to be
0: ruined and you know it, hey, there's. You better go ahead and enjoy what's happening right now. Exactly, I mean.
1: and he obviously does because he comes back for more. But we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll, yeah, uh, but we'll anyway, so yeah. So right after the after she is seduced, DeFosse, we then switch to. Renever, talking to Elvira. Uh, she's kind of doing usual chores, which is mostly what we all see these women uh, <laughs> doing these women uh, when doing, they're yeah. not, you know, when they're not being tortured. They're doing chores, everybody. And then sitting there, basically gloating, letting us know that uh, Mobile the Witch has been apprehended and uh, is scheduled for execution.
0: It's true. El- Elvira doesn't seem very happy about this, but also it doesn't—it's not something that seems to affect her. I mean, Elvira has well, never she had she any interactions it, exactly, with her, so. Yeah.
1: And she's pretty much been the wide-eyed innocent through all this. And so as far as we know, she pretty much buys the party line, basically uh, given out by DeFosse, and she's pretty worried about the soul of her sister.
0: She kind of gets into a conversation with Renovar and accuses him of turning Mobile in, and he denies it. And he then he kind of just goes a little berserk, I, I, I hate you all. I mean, he's, he's talking about hating all these women.
1: Well, Which well, he's he basically what he says is a pretty key line to understanding his character. Is he says that uh, he wouldn't turn, uh, he he wouldn't be interested in in turning a bill in because she's an old woman. He likes to see the young women burn.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very it's it's a very misogynistic thing. He's a very he's he's a very nasty little creature here. or Something yeah, that yeah, ugh, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: it's yeah. It's, it's obvious that he's he's you know the way these women have all looked at him and 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 scorned him because of his ugliness. And you know he's obviously pretty got got a serious axe to grind against them.
0: Well, yeah. then it all comes to a head because he attacks Elvira right, right. there on the floor of the kitchen, and mm-hmm. it's obvious he's going to rape her, right. and the only thing that saves Elvira at all is that Madeline comes in and starts whacking the shit out yeah, of him.
1: Yeah, grabs a big cast iron, uh, something just start, starts wailing starts on him.
0: Starts wailing on his head and face, and he, get, he gets off of Elvira and storms out, swearing vengeance, of course, which is, mm-hmm. you know, what a good lunatic was going to do <laughs> at a stage like that, so the next day or a day later or so, uh, we watch Catherine watch the burning of mobile. Mobile go is taken mm-hmm. out in a, in a wagon and a burned. Well, we actually don't see her burn, but we know yeah. she's burned. But uh, right. the point of the scene is to watch Catherine on a hillside, looking over the entire situation and praying to Satan for the strength to kill them all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now that night, Madeline talks to Catherine about how mobile surely had no power.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Madeline's Uh, starting to realize that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Madeline's starting to realize she, she couldn't have had power herself or she'd have saved herself. I mean, she wouldn't have let herself, she wouldn't have, you know, succumbed to this. Right. And I'm sorry I brought you to her. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I I was obviously wrong. So Madeline is completely on the other side of this thing. Now she realizes that this has got to be crap. This can't be, this can't be something you base your life on and how you believe things. Right. But, uh, Catherine is now a true believer. She
1: is. Catherine
0: she is. is there. Yeah. No, 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 no. She's a true believer. No matter what situation you present her with, no matter what facts, no matter what happens, no matter what occurs, mm-hmm. it only serves to back up her belief in her Lord Satan. Right. It's it's all down to that now. At this point, Renovar, all pissed off from, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. having his rape interrupted, yeah. uh, rushes off off to Nicholas again. To uh, rat out Catherine, going to do this directly this time. Uh, he explains to Nicholas this time around that uh, he told the judge about the people Abiel associated with, one of them being Catherine, and uh, the judge told him to keep silent. Mm-hmm. Now this kind of freaks Nicholas out a little bit here. Yeah, this kind of shakes his worldview just a tad. And I love, I love, I love what Nicholas says: "Is I must reflect."
1: Yeah, well, well, what's interesting too is <laughs> it's just a great example of you know these. These these constant traps and all this twisted logic these people live in live because really Nicholas's first response to him is so why'd you tell if you swore you know if you swore to the yeah, if, if you swore, swore to, to the tell, judge yeah. that you wouldn't tell you know and but but Renover being the slippery slimery uh, eel that he is just immediately comes back with you know well I just I, I thought that this was too. Too important, you know. To I mean, he
0: you yeah. Know, so he, he invents a bullshit get, yeah, reason. Yeah, now. So yeah so if he, this is too important. I am gonna have yeah. to, you know. I've come to you. Yeah. Now, uh, the film also shows at this point that our two new lovers, Defossé and Catherine, have fallen into a pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're definitely settling into a routine where apparently every night, mm-hmm. one of them goes to the other's room and they get down and get funky. Yeah. Now at this point, uh, Nicholas, with this new information, goes to Pierre, mm-hmm. and they uh, discuss Defossé and the possibility of his corruption.
3: We must never forget that the devil uses women to corrupt men, Pierre.
0: But, sir, the magistrate is incorruptible
3: and austere. He has exemplary virtues. That is precisely the reason that Satan will try to destroy him and bring him down. And let us not forget the beauty of young Catherine. Remember, Bernard is only a man. Yes. Yes, you're right. You are right. She tried hard to seduce him from the very beginning. I'm certain even you were aware of it. Well, now that you mention it. Then he convinced the old man Armand to make him tutor for his daughters as well as administrator of the estate. Such things are not in keeping with our noble mission. And the worst thing of all is that he kept secret the visits of Catherine to the old witch. Renobert may have been lying. Renobert was telling the truth. I know how men respond when interrogated. This matter is a grave one. We must try to conduct ourselves prudently. But with all the strength and conviction that our calling dictates...
0: You know, I didn't notice her trying to seduce him from the moment no, we saw no, we showed up
1: here. Now I think there's some revisionist uh, history yeah. going on here. But
0: now that you mention it, yes. yes, obviously she's an evil woman who was attempting to seduce yeah. him from the very moment she saw
1: him. Remember course. the old uh, Carol Burnett show, the the, the, old, the skits they would do with the family where she played Carol Burnett? played Mama's Eunice, family. Mama's yeah. family. Remember how they'd always talk about her the departed, like, father and how he was born without a spine and, 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 and it invented the slinky, you know, that was, this is what I think of when I think of Pierre, is Pierre obviously was born without a spine, you know, and, and uh, it's, oh and it's, my God. he's the most ineffectual character, and it's interesting how they, the way they set up Pierre in this story, I thought that they kind of, earlier in the film, make like you think he's going to be the kind of the conscience who maybe kind of turns against the, you know, the established order yeah, because yeah. of his squeamishness, because of his kind of, and that sort of thing, and, and they and, we, and they
0: spend so much time at the beginning having you know having him really fear yeah, the plague and yeah. all this that and the other. But, but
1: he quickly becomes a pretty much a, a you know just a a, a, a go along get Yeah, basically, kind of guy. yeah, he becomes a pretty like I said a pretty ineffectual character. I mean, Nicholas basically has no. Uh, I love the twist again we get into that whole just circular <laughs> logic of you know well, but it, but not DeFosse because DeFosse is pure and incorruptible that's exactly who Satan most enjoys corrupting so. that's
0: exactly who Satan yeah. would go after first with of course beautiful women yeah boy actually now that I think of it boy maybe I should be more pure and let <laughs> Satan attempt to corrupt me I think mean, it's going to send some hot women after me then. Uh, uh, anyway let's, let's, move, let's move on I, uh, during this period of the film we see DeFosse uh, I love this scene where he's just by himself Staring at uh, one of the images of the devil in the in that big book, and mm-hmm. just cursing his lust and how his lust yeah. is leading him down this horrible road of temptation. And of course, yeah. it doesn't stop him from showing no, up that no. next <laughs> night, <to laughs> rolling the roll around in the bed with with yeah. Catherine. So, yeah. Catherine now having completely ensnared our poor magistrate, mm-hmm. takes him to the barn that she last made love to Jean in, mm-hmm. uh, the place where they had their roll in the hay. Yeah tells him that she wants well let's just be bored. Yeah. yeah let's just listen to it mm-hmm.
2: Catherine why have you brought me here
6: I was here with Jean the last time I saw him we made love perhaps like never before but then he was gone never to return he was killed murdered by an assassin Well, that villain has already been sentenced. About to pay the price for his crime. Today, I want you. I want you. I want you to make love to me here. Here in the same place that Jean made love to me the last time we were together. Are you afraid, Magistrate?
2: Not afraid of you. I've burned hundreds of witches and heretics. Not one was able to harm me. I saw you with Madeline. It was almost morning. I knew where you were.
6: Why then haven't you turned me in?
2: Because I love you. Even though I know I'll surely burn for it.
6: You're the one who killed Jean.
2: No, Catherine. It was robbers. I wasn't the one. Not I.
6: You'll pay. I've made a pact with a lord of darkness. My soul in return for yours.
1: Uh, She's got a little kink. She is, and, uh, and and talk about putting pressure on her man. She basically tells him, you know, this is you know the same spot where my former lover rocked my world. See what you can match it with, <laughs> big boy. You know, see, see if you you're match, half as good exactly, as he no is. Kidding. What kind of man are you? <laughs> yeah, well.
0: What's weird, next we have what I would refer to as Rape Scene Two. Yeah. Electric Boogaloo. Or 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 the quickening. The, Maybe yeah. that would be
1: Yeah.
0: Rape Scene Two, the Quickening. There you go. This is Elvira. She's she's in the stable, cleaning doing out doing the stable, chores. doing more chores, and she's confronted by Renovar again. And he attacks her again, trying to rape her right there. It's, mm, same yeah. thing happens again, and
1: guess who's standing nearby, coming to the rescue?
0: Thank God for Madeline. She yeah. comes in and starts whacking the hell out Whack- of Renovar again. again.
1: This time with a with this time with a, a sickle, I guess, or whatever yeah, the little uh, with a blade. Uh, At this
0: point, you'd have to call beating the hell out of Renovar kind of a hobby. Yeah, for, yeah. For Madeline, I think so. <laughs> unfortunately, this one turns deadly. Uh, right. She she does grab a sickle. I'd say and injures Renovar with it. And as she goes over to try to help. Elvira get up and get the hell out of there and get away from him. He uses the same sickle on them.
1: Yeah. here's the weird thing about this scene, and it was it was one of the one of the few times in the film that I I thought the editing or it was just a little oddly filmed is because Elvira's dead and but it's hardly seemed like he's done anything to really kill her. I mean, yeah, they were struggling yeah. over there and I guess maybe he was supposed to be trying to strangle her, but after he stabs uh, Madeline in the back, after, you know, like you said, she wounds him in the gut and then he grabs a sickle and stabs Madeline in the back and kills her, but we see that Elvira's already dead, and it's it's sort of a strange death. I mean, we didn't really see much happen to her that that should have killed her, but uh, essentially it comes down to he apparently had... Had already had killed her in some way before uh before Madeline. Yeah,
0: I, I will I will admit that that was a little unclear there for ju- yeah. for, for for just a non second. And I did actually, as the scene transition to the next sequence, I thought, well, wait a minute, is El- I thought Elvira might still be alive.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. I right. mean, it, mostly what we're seeing here is is great. You know, this this all this pacing, everything's heading towards the end. And there is really paced very well and unfolding very well. Yes. This is the one scene that to me almost seemed a little conveniently getting rid of some characters had a little bit of that taste yeah, of just kind of like, kind of like, um, you know, you know, now she hates to leave people alive, you know? And, and so <laughs> it, it sort of, it sort of had this, uh, sort let's of, clear the cast list. Yeah. You know, and, and, I, and it sort of has that little bit of a feeling of, okay, I need to shed some weight here you know, and, <laughs> you know, get some characters written. Now, You know, the thing is is we get to sort of witness Renover's death that we've been waiting for his death the whole movie because we've been dying to see him killed and you really don't even get that satisfaction. He does die, but off screen, you know, he kind of staggers out with the wound and still manages to do even more damage before he he dies because as we find out in the uh, next scene, uh, he's apparently gets to uh, uh, sign off on another deposition before he bleeds to death. You know, apparently Nicholas sort of like had the paper and pen in hand while his guts, while (laughs) While Renover's guts are 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 sort of, you know, (laughs) seeping into the floor. He sort of handed him (laughs) I say, hey, could you sign off on this? Because we're going to go after. Our man DeFosse. Well,
0: now we don't know necessarily. I mean, he may have already he may have signed off on this stuff before he went true. and an attack before the before the second yeah. rape scene.
1: And hell, but, we don't even know how much DeFosse's making all this. I mean, doing fortunately I mean, not DeFosse, but Nicholas may be adding to this himself. You know, it's, it's, I do We don't, I don't know Nicholas's I, motivations. I mean, it's which I like. Well, I mean, it's that's, very true. that's true. That's true because there is
0: a question of his motivations, as right. as, right. as DeFosse says in a moment. Yeah. Uh, well, Nicholas presents Renovar's signed testimony to. Our judge, Mister Defosse, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, basically lays it all out in front of him and says, "You know, you're you're going to prosecute her. You're going to prosecute Catherine." Mm-hmm. He's trying to resist, and and Nicholas is t- says to him, "You know, your attitude is out of character. The matter is clear." He's now obviously very tortured by memories of his actions against all these other women. Right. One has to feel just what's going th- what's going through his mind is just just this torturous. Mess of, of, of a it, this has got to be hell on earth for him because now it's all coming home to roost. All right. the chickens are, are definitely landing on yeah. the line.
1: Yeah, he did not really have much choice but to have Catherine have, brought yeah, have in Catherine and... brought in, mm-hmm.
0: and they go through these the witch test of sticking her with the pin, mm-hmm. trying to find the uh, the devil's mark. Mm-hmm. And of course, eventually they do find a spot where she doesn't react when mm-hmm. they stick the pin in. <laughs> so, well, guess what? So would anybody, yeah, folks. Yeah, but she. Completely confesses and names Bernard as her cohort. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is obviously what she'd been waiting for. You know, and it, yeah. it, it, it wasn't the sex; that was the attraction. The attraction was getting to this moment where she would be brought in front of him and could denounce him in front of everybody. And, and, and she
0: him. takes great glee in doing
1: it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, she at this point, Nicholas produces well, Nicholas and Pierre produce this chest of evidence found in found in De room and confront him with it. Here's the contract you signed with with mm-hmm. his satanic majesty, and here's all this other stuff in here. And, of course, it's stuff we know by now has to have been planted in his room by Catherine. Right, right. But DeFosse by this time is just mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, whatever. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> pretty resigned to it. He's resigned.
1: He's He knows it's over. Here, as we said, uh, just DeFosse's pretty much realized the jig is up, and he says something to Nicholas. He says, congratulations, Nicholas, you always coveted my... Position and Nicholas doesn't, even, you know, doesn't even flinch. he just says, "No, I, I, that's not true." And then it, we see that DeFosse thinks about it a little more and just says, says to himself, "Catherine, you know, he realizes that really it was Catherine that planted the stuff in his room, and and his heart he knows that It's almost like he's trying to deflect the blame to Nicholas." Uh, almost not, not wanting to admit just just how much he had totally been played, but but really you know he, he has to realize that he, he does realize well, that and, it was and Catherine. And, and y- you
0: could see how Nicholas may have coveted his position, but there's no evidence in the film exactly, that he did exactly.
1: at all. Exactly. Yeah, we never see any any evidence that he doesn't believe completely in in, in in what they're doing. They're just as Pierre did, and just as DeFosse did. You know, no matter how twisted they are, they actually believe in their.
0: I do think that all three of them do truly believe in what they're doing. They yeah. are they're honestly devout in mm-hmm. their beliefs. Next, we see Emile speaking to Catherine in her jail cell, explaining to her, trying to convince her that, you, saying to her basically, you didn't see any of the things you think you saw. You didn't do any of the things that you think you did. It's, mm-hmm. it's stuff that you saw that you wanted to see. The potions, all this, this, you convinced yourself of it. These dreams you had, none of this was real. But mm-hmm. she's long gone down the crazy hole. She's, yes. uh, she's a true believer. She is completely convinced, and she's sure that Satan will not let her burn. She's gone, Mm. buddy.
4: (laughs) Catherine, you've never gone to the Sabbat, never adored the devil. You are not a witch, and your powers are not extraordinary. You are only a poor girl, persecuted and tormented solely by your own fears and and by your own frustrations.
6: I flew high above the stars. I danced at the
4: sabat. When you imagined you were flying, you were sleeping in your bed, you never really left the room, and Mabil and Madeline never flew. They were just two poor, unfortunate, hysterical women.
6: I saw the judge paying off the men who killed my Jean.
4: You only saw the things you thought you wanted to see. Those oils from Mabil from herbs were served to create dreams and fantastic hallucinations.
6: I am my master's child. He'll come to my aid. He would never let me turn to ashes. He says I am his.
4: Yes, ma'am. May God be with you. Surgeon, your time is
1: up. Let's go now.
0: She ain't buying it.
1: No. no Satan's she... going to save her. Yeah.
0: <laughs> She's going to live forever. She's going to fly. I do love, once again, Emil being the voice of reason, saying, yeah. you know, these things she made these potions out of, mm-hmm. they make you hallucinate. This yeah. is not something that's real,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and of course she's just like I say, not buying it. And now we get to the final scene. Yeah, uh, we start the scene with Catherine already tied to a stake with mm-hmm. uh, the wood piled around her. Right, and then Defosse Nashy
1: mm-hmm.
0: being brought out in a wagon separately, which I thought was kind of strange. This this to me is a director slash actor playing his death scene up as hard as
1: he can oh yeah no good no doubt no doubt because
0: he's his head's been shaved Mm. they didn't shave the women's heads no no uh and he is brought out on his own Mm -hmm. how you know honestly logically they would have brought both of them out
1: together (laughs) in the same wagon at the
0: same time and strapped them to the to the stakes at the same it's a curtain
1: call you know (laughs) it is it is
0: it's it's the director actors taking you know Mm -hmm. taking that last bit of you know Glory as the film rolls to a to an end. Well, it has a weird voiceover at this point during the film.
1: Yeah, what does that say? Remind I me. can't.
0: I, I can't remember. I can't remember. It's. But Catherine is very stoic. He prays to God for forgiveness. Mm. He's he's repentant. The flames lick higher and higher and mm. kill them both. I will say at the end there, Catherine does scream as the flames start to creep up to her. I think she starts to realize that... Realizing
1: that daddy ain't coming. You know, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
0: and right there at the end, Emil is standing there watching and mm. uh, a messenger comes up to him and calls him away because apparently the plague has cropped up in a nearby village. Yeah,
1: well, I think it's that... I mean, I, I, I guess it it's that, that village? village. Yes, it's that oh, village. Okay. That's it, the plague has hit that village. And it's interesting, the character, the, the whole nature of the plague... It, to me anyway, felt completely different from at the first of the film. At the first of the film, you know, it looks like the plague is the main villain, like the plague yeah. is going to be the main yeah. the main horror that we're going to face. By the time it comes in at the end, it's almost like this cleansing kind of, you know, it's like, yes, take this village out. Take these, <laughs> take these poor, miserable, insane people, you know, and like yeah. do your work. It's like the plague has almost come in as this force at the end of the film, like that it's it's coming to do justice I hadn't thought, I hadn't thought of know? that,
0: but yeah, in a way, I can see what you're talking about. It yeah. does seem that way. Now, as we've mentioned, this was Nashi's first film as director, mm-hmm. and I've got to say, I think he did a fantastic job. I, I think he t- was. I, I think t- he t- did a. I think he, his his study of the various directors he'd worked with up to that point
1: shows. I, agree. I think
0: that he clearly was a man who liked to do his research, and also clearly was a man who wanted to learn as much as he could about what he was doing. Yes, this is a man who went as far into. The craft as he could, as quickly as he could, and it shows. I mean, he was obviously a man ready to step into these shoes and start directing.
1: Yeah, movies. yeah. There's not, there's no feeling of an amateur here at all or a beginner. Um, very, very few instances of, of awkward editing or, uh, uh, or you know, the camera movement. You know, there might not be, there might not be quite as much. Camera movement, as like we saw with say oh. like Doctor Jekyll and the Werewolf, like with somebody who's more used to it, like Klamovsky yeah. or Klamofsky
0: something. Re- really liked to move the camera yeah. and do some interesting things with, right. some, with some shots. This is all meat and potatoes mm. shot making. This yeah, is, is all state. The staging is all very meat and potatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wouldn't say basic because that sounds like I'm damning it, but right, I'm right. not. I'm no, really no, not.
1: It definitely serves the story. You yeah, know? And,
0: it's 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 effective. It's effective framing and good and knowing where to place your camera and how to pu- how to pull mm-hmm. things together. Uh, it's not flashy, but then again, you know this story doesn't require any flash. No, this no. is this is a pretty straightforward story, and I think that the the fact that it's a period piece is it. it the fact that it's a period piece tells me that you don't want to really try to go for something overly stylistic in the first right. place. Yeah, you should You're feel trying, as natural as possible.
1: Right. As, you know, you, it should feel naturalist. Filming the lighting and all is like feels very, very natural. You know, the, 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 very
0: good sets. They apparently did have a fair amount of cash. Yeah,
1: for I would say something they had because uh, it's it's it's, it's a, a testament to how effective all the costuming and sets and makeup is. That there was I don't remember moments where anything took me out of the picture as far as anything that seemed unrealistic for the time. No, not you know, at all. Nothing just, like yeah, that. Very solid production.
0: Very very well done, all the way across the board. Now in Nashi's autobiography, Memoirs of a Wolfman, he touches on this. Uh, he says, in 1977 I made my de- my debut as a full fledged director by tackling a tricky subject, nothing less than the Holy Inquisition of the Roman Catholic Church. In order to carry out my research I requested an interview with Julio, Julio Baroja. I'm slaughtering a man's name, and for that I apologize. Uh, thanks Thanks to whose help I was able to compile a lot of crucial data I needed to help me write the screenplay. I discovered that the Inquisition in France, Germany, and Switzerland was far bloodier and much crueler than the Spanish Inquisition, for all of Torquemada's reputation. Undoubtedly, the dark legend had survived and flourished for centuries, of course. The European trials for witchcraft, the topic I was concerned with, were far more numerous and spectacular than in Spain. The plot was largely based on true events which took place in the French region of Carcassonne. Mm -hmm. I'm mispronouncing that, too. Mm -hmm. I'm 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 an (laughs) equal opportunity (laughs) language slaughterer. (laughs) Where a judge fell in love with a woman accused of being a witch, and they both ended up being burned at the stake. The film was made as a co-production with Italy. It was an ambitious project, but personally I was quite satisfied with the end result. I think he's right. Yeah, I think yeah, he did a fine job here. I agree. It shows in every frame. It's a it's a mm. darned good film and one that he should have very well been proud
1: of. Yeah, I believe so too.
0: All right, I really like this film. I don't think it's one of his best. I think it's a damn good one though.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where would you place this one on the on the scale? Upper third, middle third, bottom third? I'm assuming at least middle third.
1: Oh yeah, easily, easily. It's I don't know if it's a film you know i'd return to a lot of times just because it's it's so humorless and grim uh in yes. other words like a lot of times if i get a nasty mood you know i might find myself gravitating more towards the monsters you know and the low but yeah i just i feel like it's just uh, I, I love the layers to the script and the characters and the ambiguities uh, uh, which you don't get from his monster films and this is something that I think is interesting we you know we're always contrasting kind of the two sides of Paul Nashie, or you know the many sides of Paul Nashie, but in terms of very often you can think of Paul Nashie as the you know the the romantic side of him and then the the more uh, bohemian modern Artist that he was too, and I feel like when you remove the supernatural from his films or the monsters, you know, I feel like those those things, you know, the Valdemar Daninsky and the werewolf, and the, that that brings out the romantic side of him, you know, where even if even if those films are always tragic and you know, and again, everybody dies and all that, but there's always <laughs> still there's a you know there's kind of things that very much you know the everything is. Romanticized. There's the the soul that's set free by someone who loves him. Whereas I think, he, that's if, not,
0: yeah, that's if not... you take
1: that out of when you take when you remove the supernatural, remove the, the 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 monsters from the equation, and you get into something that's a real story, then you see this other side of him that's a very harsh, very grim worldview. You know? Well,
0: I, I I agree with you. He he did always have a very dark worldview. But the thing that surprises me about this film, though, is uh, the portrayal of women. Yeah, yeah, that's... very very positive to my mind portrayal of women as from the writer's perspective
1: yeah yeah I
0: agree. he he's often been accused of misogyny mm-hmm. and i don't think that's at all true i think mm-hmm. uh i think that's a a really facile reading of uh, his female characters we, mm-hmm. we talk about how there seems to be the two templates the angel and the demon mm-hmm. there are no angels and demons in this one they're very complex women yes at least catherine is Oh yeah, uh, so. uh these are not these are not evil people by any stretch of the imagination nope. Nope. now Catherine, you could argue goes nuts but the 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 idea of this being part of uh and they and they talk about it emile talks about it specifically mm-hmm. the whole idea of women's very secondary role in this society i mean like i say all we ever see them doing mm-hmm. are chores. They're chores i mean exactly, they they yeah. they they're, they're essentially servants <laughs>
1: Uh, well, there's the part in the where Amon's talking about how you know all these obvious signs of of Satan and 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 witches in the village, where he talks about you know the the cows dying, so the women can't bear children anymore. And I'm sitting there thinking like, yeah, well, you know, after you try to force about fifteen on them, then you know it starts getting you know harder. It's you well, know well that and th- and think
0: about and think about the the fact that it's the, the 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 problem with the cattle was mentioned before the barren women was mentioned. Of course, I mean, yeah, but they're
1: all part of a litany, a list of our yeah. possessions. They're a list. Yeah, of, you oh know, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that whole thing, our 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 cat, our, our 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 livestock you know the women are mentioned in the same list as the
0: exactly the 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 women are victims they're Mm -hmm. ignored they're just part of they're just part of a list of possessions and really i mean it's you would think that witchcraft or some belief in some higher power that would give them some some dominion over their lives yeah and since obviously the church is a patriarchy they're not going to be able to get it there Mm -hmm. well flip it on its side Turning to Satan might seem to be the logical way, and, and for a woman, the mm-hmm. obvious way to have some control over her life. Some measure of justice, perhaps, could be extracted from life if I did this if yeah, i sure. went yeah. in opposition to mm. the the male end of things mm-hmm. it's in it, this place throughout the film once things are put in place and it's just a nice little thing and it's in it's and it's touched upon subtly uh Emil broaches it at a couple a couple of times in dialogue and i think it's really really interesting any good witch hunting film from this period like witch finder general mm-hmm. this is a strong movie that's got a, that's got some things to say and they're a bit more complicated than one might expect on first blush
1: yeah, well, I mean, let's 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 talk about the you know kind of the two things that I see really set the stage for this genre to come into to being and to be popular through this time. Is the first thing, of course, is the just the sheer permissiveness of what could be shown on the screen. Uh, sure. You know, as horror movies and movies in general, you would kind of show more. Obviously, these scenarios where you can have a lot of nudity, torturing. You know, that's kind of like ready made for that aspect of it of just what you could get away with on the screen. At the same time, these type of stories are are the most direct at which people could channel uh and and anger against authority and this was the late 60s and early 70s that these these films were the strongest uh, not only do they reflect a trend in films in general of course you know to to become more bleak and grim and have you know, where good doesn't conquer all and all that, but, but they're kind just of so anti
0: authoritarian. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And these, these stories yeah. are just tailor made for because you watch these films, you want to pull your hair out because of, you know, you feel so bad for these people. And, and, and because the authority in the film, as represented by the church, is so totally merciless uh, and, and and, yeah. and illogical and, and, you know, and, and obviously motivated by. You know, there's one line in the film, and I forget where it is in the film, where they mention that one of the witches being burned, that all of her uh, possessions will then go to. I, I, I forget what because I, I know that this was this was common in those days, and it was another it was just evidence of how insane things were then. Is if you accuse somebody of a witch, I know I know oh, at least... that's
0: right. Your accuser could claim your possessions yeah. in now, some instances. Now, did somebody that's... not
1: look at this and, say, and, and and the fact that somebody listened and say like, okay, I think there's an inherent flaw in, <laughs> in this. this system? Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> oh Lord. Overall, I have to give this um, on the one to ten scale. I give it a seven. Mm.
1: It's not. Uh, I think that's yeah. That's that's pretty yeah, it's, really, really, really it's
0: it's it's good reasonable. solid. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I say, it's got some, some clunky weirdness at the beginning where yeah. you're trying to figure out who these characters are right. and how they relate to one another. hmm but other than that, uh, once the film gets underway and once the the plot is in motion, it's a tasty little film. Really You're right. I don't know that I would necessarily want to revisit this one a whole lot. Although I will say, having watched this twice in just the past couple of weeks, it really did draw into focus just how well constructed mm-hmm. the script was. That's I did true. love the complexity of it more on a sec- on a second viewing, especially, mm-hmm. and I like the the, the the nice messy drawings of the characters. They're not. Paragons of virtue and they're, no, not, they're not demons. Right. These are complex characters, and I and I very much like that. It's a and, it's a good
1: film. And in, and in case you you know anybody listening, hearing us recount this plot, and was uh, thinking we forgot something, is uh, if you're wondering if it ever revealed who killed Jean, no, no, which is, is a great know. choice. I mean, because honestly, once it became apparent that. You know that it was not DeFosse, I really thought that we were going to get a little twist at the end. And that it, it was does going...
0: become clear that it's not Defossi right, right. when she confronts him with this he, information. He, there's, no, there's no, there's nothing in his face. There's nothing. He no. he honestly yeah. didn't do it. Right. But she is so gone at that point that she's not going to believe right.
1: it. And I really thought that they were going to give us a last scene where you find or something where you find out that it was Renover that did it. And I love the fact that they still didn't even give us no, that. You never like know that. what happened who Well who, that's you, just
0: it. I think that it that, that, that the he probably film, was just he was just killed by robbers. Yeah, that's like probably the truth. everyone thought. Yeah, yeah. It was just one of those horrible happenstance things. It, yeah. it's it's like I say, I I I do like this film. It's Me complexity. Too. I like I like I like it quite a bit. Yeah. Good movie. But that will draw our uh, seventh episode here to a close and, uh, I'd like to thank everybody for joining us. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, it's NashiCast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Drop us a line, let us know what you think. Give us any ideas, uh, instructions, correct my sorry pronunciation of horrible names in French and Spanish. Cause <laughs> God knows I blew a couple in this one, but we'd like to announce that our next film for the eighth Nashicast. Will be Count Dracula's great love.
1: Yeah, and I know I know you're a, this you're, a massive, this you're a
0: massive you're a massive fan of this film, do, aren't
1: you? I, I? Like I do like this movie. Do like this movie? It's a fun
0: I, one. I, I like it too, but I gotta be honest. I've only ever seen it once. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward a long time to reading for to it too.
1: So yeah, I'm, uh, it'll be coming into it kind of fresh for me too because I, I used to watch it quite a bit, but it's been years ago. So uh, it's been
0: more than ten years, well mm-hmm. over ten years mm-hmm. since I last saw this film, and uh, mm-hmm. of course. I think it's the only time
1: he played Dracula on screen, isn't it? That, To my knowledge, it is. I believe that's the only time he ever played okay. Dracula. Okay,
0: all right. Yeah. Looking very much forward to revisiting Count Dracula's Great Love. Hope everybody joins us for that.
1: And remember, it's a...
0: <laughs> oh, it's a bloody pit of rod production.
1: All right. <laughs> oh, yes,
0: it's a bloody pit of rod production, and boy, this time it's it been has been <laughs> a
1: bloody production. It's a bloody, nipple-cutting... <laughs> Nipple-tearing production.
0: <laughs> oh, man. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. Give us a give us an email if you drop us a line, drop us an email. Let us know what you think. I'm Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn, and we'll talk to you again soon.